What's going on, everybody? I'm Kevin from Cigar Prop, and each and every week we come to you live on the I Tap That Cigar Show on our YouTube channel. We interview someone fun and exciting in the cigar world, and then about a week later, we upload that audio to various podcasting platforms. That's what you're listening to now. We try and cut out a lot of the stuff that won't make sense because you're listening to it instead of watching it. But if something doesn't make sense and you want to watch it, in the description is the link that will take you to our YouTube so you can watch the interview instead of listening to it. But if you want to continue listening to it, thank you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the I Tap That Cigar Show presented by Corona Cigar. As always, I am your host, Kevin Shahan, and I am coming to you live from the Drew Estate Experience at Studios here on the sunny Gulf Coast of Florida. Val, we see you in the background. Um, joining me, as always, is my uh, 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 faithful, loyal co-host, Care Viajante. Care, how's it going tonight? Thank you for describing me like a loyal dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> woof, woof, uh, Kevin. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's the first time I've, uh, I've, I've, I've introduced you like that. You know, I don't know. We got a lot of dogs in the house, you know, because yeah, of yeah. dog yeah. sitting and don't improvise. You know, so yeah, it, it, it's 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 definitely going towards the kennel, but uh, all is well here in the uh, Stogie Road Studios. In uh -huh, you know. nice and warm South Carolina. I mean, it started off a little chilly today, but now we uh, we're up in the uh, the seventies. Oh, right on, right on. Yeah. Um, also, as you could hear, joining us in the background is producer Jessica. Jessica, how are how are you doing tonight? I'm good, thank you for asking. And then uh, 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 we have here. I, I, I believe she's ready to help join us tonight. Back again. How it has been? It has probably been a year. And how do you look ten years young? I'm not. I'm not. It's not flattery. You. How do you look ten years younger? It is. Uh, yeah. Oh my god. Stop wearing makeup. It's amazing. Yeah. Makeup. Oh, is that, is that what heavy. it is? Oh, I gotta. I have to try. I'll try that. that. Yeah, I'll, have to, I'll, have to, I'll, have to, I'll definitely have to try that. So uh, uh, Val Bradshaw, our our W set L three wine and spirit professional, here to grill Tony Bellotto tonight. On uh, on wines and look at that amazing collection as always you have in the background. Oh my god! Yeah, that's my that's my whiskeys. I got a couple of wines back here, but mostly whiskeys. Yeah, I have I wines in the cellar. I don't keep them out front. That's a tough okay. decision when you have that many. Options. I know. I don't. I don't see any Bacardi at all back there. And I, I can look. Uh, that is because uh, Val knows better. Yeah, that, that that that's it. So so what's what's everybody what's everybody smoking tonight? Uh, care. Uh, I'm smoking edition on 35. Right on, uh, Val. What are you? What are you uh, going to be partaking in tonight? I'm going to start. Oh, I'm going to start with Ramon Alonis, uh Cuban. Of course, with your fancy liquors and your yeah, <laughs> with your Cuban cigar and and, uh, and being Canadian. And being can. Canadian, yes. Oh uh, from, man, you know uh, we we actually have a a a. a, a a, a guy, and I'll, I'll get to your cigar in just one second, uh, uh, Jessica. Um, he's from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, right around the corner. Nice. He's all yeah. usually Daniel Noonfeld. Yeah, and, okay. uh, yeah. And it was, uh, um, yeah. I asked him where where he uh, um, uh, where he was at yeah. at one time because he said Saskatchewan. So then he said Moose Jaw, and then I looked it up. I'm like, oh hey, you're like 20 minutes from my friend Val. <laughs> so uh, he was impressed. I knew where Moose Jaw was, and <laughs> Google, you know. So perfect. 
Jessica, what are you, what are you smoking tonight? Uh, the Herrera Esteli. Um, uh, the Brazilian oh, the Maduro. Brazilian Maduro. Absolutely fantastic cigar. Maduro, um, and I'm getting have ready. To say the whole thing. Yeah, she got to say the whole thing. <laughs> um, I'm getting ready to light up a cigar. Um, and it, it's it, the the story of me getting the cigar is pretty pretty cool. I'm I'm lighting up a Caldwell Lost and Found Blue Collar Maduro. So about a year ago, I was at a um, Davidoff of Geneva and Tampa. For a red meat lovers club event they had a bunch of auction items that were there and i i bid uh on this beautiful um uh, lost and found humidor i got an ashtray i got a tumbler and uh i was shocked that because it was an online bidding even though the items were there nobody was bidding on it and then uh um i'm like all right that was that was cool and then after i won the auction for like 50 dollars, i go to collect my stuff i open it up and it's entirely filled with uh, Scooby snacks. Um, it was filled wow. with these blue collar Maduros. I mean, I've got packs on packs of Scooby snacks. Um, yeah, I guess nobody opened up the humidor to find out if there was anything inside of it. So that's what, uh, Score. That's, what I've, that's it. So uh, we'll get right with the Cigar Medics Humidimeter cut and light. Remember with Cigar Medics Humidimeter, you'll always know when to hold them, know when to smoke them. And this one has been sitting in that humidor for a year now. So we're we're good at 67%. Um so so Val, that that Cuban cigar, what is that uh what does that cost you? What is that uh cuz I know Cubans aren't cheap, you know, no matter where you go. People think, "Oh, I can go to Canada, I can go to, you know, and get cheap Cubans, but Cuban, I mean, good Cuban cigars still aren't cheap. Yeah, you're you're going to be looking at fifty dollars Canadian, so thirty five forty ish American. But if you want a Cohiba, you're you're yeah. So, but I mean, they're fun to smoke. I don't always find them that interesting, and there's always foot damage, or it seems to always have foot damage. Uh, sometimes with Cubans, you have to watch the weight, uh, not that you can do anything about it, but you can observe it. Right. Uh, yeah. Sometimes they're, they're, they're not, they're just not filled. They're not as tight a pack as sometimes as, as you always get from Nicaragua or Honduras, you don't have those quality control issues from other cigar producing regions, but in Cuba you do. Yeah, and I know I'm, uh, I've been reading more and more, especially the last week of just, you know, uh, I think we mentioned on the show or somewhere, you know, the um, um, the, the fertilizer uh, plight over there. They can't get fertilizer. And I've just been reading right. more and more stories on that. And it's just everything now. Like I said, even car, par car parts to fix their tractors and their regular cars. Mm -hmm. It's the fertilizer. And, um, and they were just saying just this. This is going to be one of those years, those Cuban cigar collectors, like, like our, our our good buddy, Dr. Emil, he's just going to block these cigars out for probably a couple of years. Like, uh, you, you're not going to buy these. Care, What's care, that? Care looked like he was on fire for a second. There was, like, so much smoke going in front of him from the green screen. It was like... Oh. I didn't I even on fire, Jess. Yeah, it was a lot of smoke. Yeah, he, I was he, like, oh, my God. He, he is on, on fire tonight. on fire tonight. So so right on. So so Val, what is the what is the weather like in Regina? Actually, it's not too bad. I don't know if you know Celsius, and I've forgotten Fahrenheit, even though I was raised on Fahrenheit. But let's call it light t-shirt and light jacket weather. It's right. 15 degrees Celsius today, which is we're just so grateful for that because through February we had minus 40 temperatures Ooh. for most of that month. 
and uh, that that's typical, but it still it still tires you out a little bit. But I never complain. I love living in Saskatchewan. Yeah, that is a uh, fifty nine degrees uh, Fahrenheit, and okay. uh, and the and the formula for that is a uh, um, you take your Celsius, multiply it by nine fifths uh, plus okay. thirty two, and I go nine fifths. What the leave it to somebody to you know i don't know Google. what not yeah yeah you times it by nine fifths uh that temperature <laughs> here is like a snowsuit for four yeah yeah, yeah. It, it would be it'd be a little it'd be a little chilly, be a little chilly. so yeah Maybe florida freak out hey there daniel just hopped on so daniel daniel newfeld there we go from uh um uh from moose jaw saskatchewan canada Daniel, yep. this is uh, uh, my good friend Val that I was telling you about. Uh, she is from Regina, right down the road. So, yep. um, so you probably bump into her one day. I don't know. I, I Hopefully. Don't know. You know, it could be half an hour down the way. It could be a mountain running through you guys. It's 45 <laughs> minutes. Yeah, it's, 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 minutes. Yeah, it's Canada. Like I said, there, you know, it's moose and mountains everywhere. I don't know. Bumping don't each know. other at the uh, moose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so, all right. All right. Yeah, before we bring on our guest tonight, we want to thank a moment to, uh, or take a moment to thank our sponsors for making the show happen each and every week. J.C. Newman Cigars, Cigar Medics, Amandola Cigars, We Are the Muscle, uh, Excelsior Tobacco, Makers of the Doña Lydia, GTO Cigars, Those Who Know, Smoke GTO, Corona Cigar, and of course, Drew Estate and Experience Acid. All right, so waiting patiently in the Experience Acid green room is... Deep breath. Co-founder of Lost and Found Cigars, co-founder of La Barba Cigars, founder of Balado Premium Cigars, founder of Youngstown Coffee, and co-founder of Viva La Vida Wines, Tony Balado. Tony. Hello. I, I, I didn't even know I did that much stuff. I, 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 <laughs> you, 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 you've got, you know, and then and then the, there was another thing, but I couldn't find info on it, so I don't know what the... Um, um, is it Silent Envy? What is the uh, what? What is that? Oh, that's other? like just the group of everything together. Oh, the, oh, okay. I, I have okay. too many things to put on one business card, so I just blump them into one thing, and this is my number. And just have, whatever you're, whatever you're trying to find, just call me on that number. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. I saw that, and I'm like, I don't know what that is. I go, it's the I umbrella. Know. It's like the umbrella company that all my things okay. that I don't make money at. Don't yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we we all know that everybody yeah. in this in this room uh, feels your pain. Tony, this fun. is Val. Hi Val. Hi Tony. Now, now Val, you know everybody. Have you ever met Tony? Oh, you know, I don't think we passed, but no, I. No, I don't. I, it's I've attended it's a lot of festivals. It's possible. Kevin it said you've met Robert. Kevin said you've met Robert. I'm usually yes. behind him somewhere, in front of him somewhere. So, um, yeah. so it's very, it's very the, possible. Through the PCA shows, I met Robert and Matt Booth. Well, I, yeah, yes. I was there. So yeah. yeah. Probably bumped well, into you. Or I slept in. One of the yeah. Or you slept well, in. Yeah. Well, when you're looking at Matt, or not Matt, Robert, like you just Robert. never, like you don't ever look down. Like you're just, <laughs> you're just looking up. You know, I, I know I, uh, the first time I met him, you know, I, in person was just recently the Ebor City Cigar Heritage Festival. Yeah, it's, a, like, it's, it's obnoxious, isn't it? I mean, it it is. Like, it, it's, it's like he's really, <laughs> he's flaunting it just for that sake, you know? And it's just, know. And it's just like. Do you, do you have to do that? Like, like it was just, it was a little uncalled for. Um, it was, it was weird. So, but, but, it, but, it, but, but it is what it is. Um, uh, Tony, where are you coming from tonight? So I, I live in Champion, Ohio, which is actually a suburb of Youngstown or Warren. So North, 
East Ohio. I'm actually 90, about 90 miles as the crow flies from Canada. So I'm 45 okay. minutes south of Lake Erie, roughly. Okay, now, now yeah. I, I had heard once, uh, uh, didn't you have a house in, in the either Dominican or Nicaragua? Didn't you own a home down there? No. Didn't no? Know. Okay. We, got... we, we kind of did with a bunch of other people. Like uh, myself, Robbie, we all kind of went in on a house. And uh, funny enough, we went down there one, I think it was the last time we were there in February, and we still thought we owned it. So we were going to stay there, and we went drove up the driveway, and they tore it down. So that was interesting. That was news to us. So we had to, like, scramble, get rooms at Camp David. So, yeah, I mean, we kind of did. We just paid. Yeah. I mean, it's the DR, so you just pay somebody to do something, and then something happens. And then, and then, and then, and then you don't pay them, and they just tear the house down that you thought God, you yeah. owned. They're um, rebuilding it. I don't know if we're gonna have a, a part of it anymore or not, yeah. but well, I don't know. And they just—it so, was like a, it was perfectly fine. It was a brand new house, and then I don't know—they just decided to tear it down to rebuild it again. That that is that is absolutely strange. Uh, oh, and before I forget, um, Ronnie at Secreto, uh, he told me the other day, he goes, since you become famous, you don't answer your phones anymore. Um, oh, I, just, I got a new cell phone number. I have to text him. It's my. Phone. Oh, okay, okay. So I just, <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. He seemed a little hurt when I, when I told him you were going to be on the show. So uh, that's what he said. So well, I if he's I watching, just... if he's watching, I blocked him. <laughs> yeah. If he's not, As... I, if he's yeah. not, I just didn't get it in my new phone number yet, which I will. Oh, okay. So we, nobody will bring that up. Um, I'm not going to tell. You know, we'll make a, we'll make him hunt, hunt for that, uh, for that hunt. He's that three and a half hours away. All he has to do is drive down here. Yeah. Find him. <laughs> I, I, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't. He doesn't leave Ferndale. You know that side of eight mile. You yes. know, it just uh, that's it. Plus, you don't want to be caught sneaking over the Ohio border. You know, Michigan plates. Did you know, I don't, did, yeah. did you know that there was a there was actually a war that happened between Ohio and Michigan? Yes, and that's how oh, uh, we got over Toledo. Toledo. Yes. And yes. Like I guess they drove the boats out of the middle of the lake, and they kind of like were. I think they were like drinking, and they were kind of looking at each other and they were like do we really want to do this and they were like nah like neither of us really want toledo and i was like all right we'll take it and then that's how the war ended yeah it was uh and then and then uh, uh we're the one that gave the michigan the, the wolverines their name you know we, we call we called like the mayor the governor you know uh um like ugly like a wolverine or something and they took they took pride in that like hell yeah we're wolverines now so I don't know, weird, but yeah, you're the only second person on this planet in my 44 years of existence that has ever referenced, other than me, the War of Toledo. So that is, uh, I, yes. I, 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 I love it. I absolutely love it. Everybody look it up. It was a brutal war that lasted days. Uh, yeah, I don't like it. Tony said, I don't think anything happened. I don't think anything happened either. I, I think it was just like a harsh argument. Part. Like the like the last no, person that left, you know, like there's one guy and he was from Ohio and they're like, all right, Ohio's got it, yeah, you know, what, 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 whatever. And we and we really lucked out in that deal. Sorry, oh, yeah. anybody is from Toledo, but I mean it's Toledo. <laughs> oh yeah, and I'm and, from well, Youngstown, so. Yeah, so so uh, a Michigan got the UP, and 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 uh, because it's all about your your water frontage on your state. That was so a great Michigan, deal. It's beautiful up there. Yeah. So yeah. So Michigan got the Upper Peninsula. Because you know Ohio got Toledo, so yeah. What, what a yeah. A good trade off. Yeah. So I don't know. I've never been to the UP. Uh, I've always wanted to go over the Mackinac Bridge, and I don't know. It seemed pretty cool, pretty long. I don't know, but 
What are you, what are you smoking tonight, Tony? Uh, I am smoking a cigar that I got in very limited quantity the last time I was at in Dominican Republic. And there was about a thousand, roughly, give or take, of each, and it was a test blend in our Ricochet Lance. And I was going to do a Lancero, like regular release Lancero. Yeah. And I I had them make some, and as I do often, I forgot that I had them do that. Uh, so I was down there, and Henderson was like, "Hey." what about the Lancero you made? And I was like, oh, let me smoke it. So I smoked it and it was really good. And then, but we only had made about a thousand of them and it was going to be, I was going to release the Ricochet Connecticut like four years ago. So I was going to release the Lancero in each of the blends. But as it turned out, I forgot about that and in both. And then Ricochet Connecticut got delayed and delayed and delayed. And I found out that I had both sitting at the factory, and we decided to do a little release, 110 packs uh, at TPE this year. Um, so I just have, they're not banded, they're just in these little like black packs. Um, but their box press Lanceros are really cool. I wish I would have made more, but I didn't. And so now they're for me to smoke, pretty much. So, so for, for anybody out there, because I, I hear it all the time, um, uh, Jessica and I love uh, um, uh, Lost and Found. We, you know, we, we, we try and collect uh, uh, quite a few. They're like, no manufacturer ever loses 1,000 cigars, 5,000 cigars. Well, Tony, co-founder of Lost and Found, forgot about 1,000 cigars. <laughs> yeah, and do you want to bet they don't? Because Davidoff has 3 million. AJ probably has 10. Uh, General, multiply that by 4. That they just don't know they have. I mean, you've been. I mean, you guys have been to these places. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of square feet full of warehouses full of tobacco and cigars. I think yeah. the only person that has never lost a cigar ever is Carlito. Yeah. Oh. He knows where know. everyone is. I guarantee it. I, I like barcoded. Like, yeah. like oh, there, yeah. there, there's no like spreadsheets. There, there's no Carlito. It's all in not. his memory. No, he's like D37. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there's, there's no way he was he was doing that. And then sometimes they're just cigars, you know, like when I was down at, a, um, uh, last time at Sandy, down at El Titan. Um, she's yep. got cigars uh, for manufacturers that haven't picked them up, you know, and she's got cigars from manufacturers that are no longer in business, but, but, she, but, but she won't come off the cigars. They're sitting in the cool room. I know and- that's another big. That's another big. And that, that was a problem when we started with, you know, when we deal with the smaller manufacturers. These guys get, they get kind of screwed. You know, it's like, you know, that people get contracted to make a cigar and then for whatever reason they go out of business, and the cigars are phenomenal. Um, I know a couple of really funny stories and some sad stories about it, but, I mean, that's kind of where the this whole thing came from, and it was to kind of like rebreathe the life into these cigars that they deserved, but for whatever reason they had been abandoned and just, you know, left kind of for, um, usually what they do is they'll give them to the rollers or they'll hand them out to their friends or they'll, you know, sell them at the factory. But sometimes there's just, there's just too many. Yeah. And sometimes there's too little, like, like we started, you know, back in last year, trash panda cigars, you know, which, which we were and because, and we really started that talking with manufacturers, like when they're rolling a blend, like, Oh, this came out great. You know, you know, they have like a, a hundred of them or 150 and they're like, yeah, we usually just give them away cause we can't sell them and nobody else wants them. Like lost and found doesn't want a hundred cigars. And I'm like, well, that makes sense. You know, at, at, at their, you know, at their level. 
So that that's kind of what I've been doing, just buying these smaller runs of like, it's a hundred cigars, it's fifty cigars. It is what it is. You know, a couple of them just smoke myself. You know, just give me a good deal. I'll just put them in my own humidor. Um, so. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Um, I, I know you've probably told the story a thousand times, but you're not you're not out like Robert. Robert's all over the social media. You're kind of a little bit, you know, like Val. Val ran into you probably a hundred times. She doesn't even remember you. Um, so and vice versa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, where where did where did the, the 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 cigar journey start for for those that that may not know? So in in 1972, my dad started working for my grandfather um, at a small book and newsstand, you know, uh, books, magazines, newspapers, cigarettes, gum, candy, that kind of thing. Um, my dad was is an avid golfer. And at that time, you know, and still today, golf and cigars kind of go hand in hand. But my dad started smoking cigars. And at that time, he was smoking uh, Fuente 858s, but they were very hard to get. So he went to Tampa and he knew the, the Newman family. Um, they had started doing business together. The Newmans are from Cleveland. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> there wasn't really a premium cigar industry back then. I mean, it was kind of there, but it really wasn't like it wasn't suburbanized, I guess. You know, you had like Nat Sherman and you had, I think, Grand Havana back in the 60s and a couple of other like mainstay places that in big city Chicago, New York, LA. Um, you know, Miami really didn't even have a cigar called culture back then um, that sold premium cigars. And my dad really wanted to get into that business. So he went to the, the his first RTDA show, which was 1972. Uh, he was 18. He rented a station wagon because he thought whatever he was going to buy at the trade show, he was taken back with him. Um, and the trade show was actually in, I think, the Grand Marquis Hotel, the Marquis Marriott in Times Square, where the uh, manufacturers would have hotel suites instead of trade show booths. And my dad sat in Carlito Fuente's booth with him and his father. My grandfather was Carlos Sr.'s age, and my dad is Carlito's age, so they had a lot of, you know, just common stuff to talk about. And he, my dad said that Three and a half hours went by, and not one person bought a Fuente cigar. Wow. So my and that was my dad's favorite. He loved Cameroon and he loved that original eight five eights. And I think they were like a nickel or something. But that's all he would smoke was Cameroon. It was like Cameroon it was like the best thing that happened to him. Um, so he came back, started a premium cigar store in Bourbon, Ohio, with his best friend uh, at the time. And my dad basically opened the store and closed the store himself. Um that's kind of his history. Um, in the meantime, I am a child, <clears throat> like growing up in this business and around, you know, 11 or 12 years old for allowance money. It was fun. My dad's, the, their first store was on a, uh, like on a hill. It was a big old building on a very steep hill. And it was where all the water drained for the city. So in the basement at any time, there'd be two and a half, three, maybe four inches of water in the basement. And this was during the boom in like the late or the early 90s. Um, and my dad was getting every Monday, he'd get 100 master cases of double Chateau Fuentes. Now, this isn't like, you know, this is like more Chateau Fuentes that I've ever seen in my entire life in one week. Um, and then he, we would stack them up in the basement and I'd stand in rain boots and sticker every single single one with the double price gun all the way up. I'd be on a ladder, sticker in them every Monday. 
and I, I learned about the industry at a very young age, but um, that was kind of like I didn't really have a choice because my mom's a teacher, so like she stuck me with my dad during the day and he took me there and made me made me work. So that's how I got into the cigar industry technically. So um, in, in, in rain boots, you know, uh, now nowadays we, 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 someone saw that, you know, even just water build up where keeping the cigars, they, they, they'd be freaking out. They maybe, but not here. Yeah. It's, st <laughs> it's still like that in Youngstown, Ohio. Oh, is it? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All you need to do is have an envelope that's big enough. You can get whatever you want done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that was kind of my trial by fire. And then I went to. And then I worked there when I was in, you know, in high school, when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. And then I went to, to college for a little bit. Um, and then I transfer, I transferred to Miami University of Ohio, which is down like by Cincinnati. And that's when like my love for wine and cigars kind of kicked off. Um, it's like when I kind of noticed the difference between stuff and I noticed oh, I have a palate and this cigar is different than this and this wine is different than that. Um, so I was at Miami for a little bit. I was going to be a lawyer <clears throat> at one point, and then I changed uh, entrepreneurship and consumer studies. Um, but I was I was at a, a college that was. Um, try, I always try to think of the most PC way to think say this. It was very white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I, but for me, I'm this Italian kid from Youngstown, Ohio, with like all these people that have never seen someone like me before. So they're like, and I went to I was a couple of kids from Youngstown with the school would be one, one kid's name was Joe Mosca. He was about Rob's size, but about 300 pounds. So like six, seven, 350 pounds, right? Real big kid. So everybody automatically assumed that I'm this made guy. Like, and, and, and we're in college. I'm like, I'm like 19 years old. I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what it is. But then I learned how to be a bookmaker, right? Because I already figured they, I figured they already thought that I was doing it, so I might as well do it, and I might as well have a job to earn money to pay. Okay, so we're not talking about books, like like book bind. I'm thinking book binder. Okay, so you're yeah, you really I mean, you're, you're, wow, you're, you're, you're you see you're one of those guys. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but I, but I would would take sports bets, and I learned how to how to do lines, and I learned how to take sports bets, and then if they didn't pay, I would send Joe to go get the money. Um, <laughs> But what I also did was I, I figured out, and I did this throughout high school too, and I, I don't know, I don't know if it's in my blood or my DNA, but I always used to, I figured out that there was a guy that delivered beer in Oxford, Ohio, and he also delivered cigarettes, and he had a little side hustle of the, you know, green stuff. Yeah. That was like his bonus. Like you could order like a 24-pack of an Addy, a carton of Parliament Lights, and then when he gets to your door, you're like, what about that nickel bag? And he's like, oh, yeah. gosh, you know what yeah. I mean? But I learned very on that early on that I could just give him a lot of money at the beginning of the year. And then I would get all of the stuff. And then they would all have to come to me to get it. So then he wouldn't have to go deliver it. Right. So I just made a deal with him. And I'm like, I'll give you a thousand bucks. Don't deliver to anybody else. And he was like always high. So he was like, I'm cool with that. So I had this like, <laughs> like right, this like side hustle going on of all this stuff. But anyway, every Sunday, I would have all of my friends over, and we would play. We would watch The Sopranos, play cards, and I would make red sauce, and we would drink wine and smoke cigars. And that's that's where it all came together. Um, and then eventually, my dad called me, said, "I, you know, I'm thinking about expanding. Do you want involved in the family business?" I said, "Absolutely." 
I left Miami of Ohio. I came back to Youngstown and opened up my store. Um, long story short, I met a wine rep named Mark. Uh, he introduced me to a Malbec. I had already really liked wine, but I didn't know why. Uh, but he introduced me to a Malbec from Argentina. It was called, it was Norton Malbec. I'll never forget it. And I tasted it and I was like, I'm like, wow, this is completely like, and it, it was an $8 bottle of wine, but I was like, holy, holy can I swear? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Without yeah. A doubt. So I was like, I'm like, holy shit, this is amazing. Right. So I immediately, when he left, I was online and I was like, well, like, how do I know more about wine? How do I know about more, more about wine? And I found out there was a lady in Cleveland that had that was teaching WSET. Um, she was originally from Chicago, moved back to Cleveland. Um, she was a WSET at the time diploma um, level, and she started what was called the American Wine School, and it was Cleveland Wine School at the time. I had no idea what I was getting into. I just like had like a hunger for it. Um, I and I started I started going to the. I was 20 years old when I started going, and which was, you know, I had to fudge that application also but i ended up going and doing that and then i went down the rabbit hole there and then and then i could keep going if you want with cigars but that's kind well, of that story well well well, well uh, and, and i know uh the malbec in argentina uh it's in the kolkeki desert valley um i do know that because uh <laughs> because i did uh i did a commercial for abe de babnut smoke in because they have their their wine thing so i i had to study and learn uh, from a Bonner Private Wines grown at an altitude of 8,600 feet deep in the Argentina Colqueque Desert Valley. Um, so I do know that's where the Malbec comes from. Uh, Brown, you should have seen Val's face. She's like, what is going on? You know, yes, I, I do know that. But uh, but we're, we're going we're gonna to back up a little bit. We'll, yeah. we'll get into the cigars. It's a lot to digest. Yeah, We got a lot to digest. Um First of all, um, uh, you mentioned the, uh, the the hotel room back in the RTDA. There's a story that that I don't know, like I don't know this story. So, and, and you mentioned uh, um, uh, the hotel room. Something about um, you found a dead guy in your hotel room, nicknamed him Mister Poopy Pants. What is? Oh what is yeah, that, that was. What is that? What is that story? Yeah, that wasn't 1972. That was like 2000. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I wasn't around yeah. 1972. Okay, yeah. so you really want to know the story? It's really funny. I, I, it's pretty, it's pretty I, cool. I was to, I was told it's a great story. Okay, so this was like <laughs> to really like get pushed into the fire in the cigar business, right? So I'm, I go down to Cincinnati to do my first event at the Party Source, and they do like this this smoker every week where all these people come to this bar or whatever. So I do this event and I book this Hilton. And since then, I've always stayed in Marriott's, by the way. But I booked this Hilton, and uh, and we go do the event, and I get we get back to the hotel, and we we ended up going out. I went out with my sales broker, and we ended up getting like pretty drunk, but not as drunk as the guy that I found. So I'm walking to my room, and I'm like he's like all the way down at the end of the hallway and I'm walking closer and closer to him. And I'm like, I'm like, is that a guy naked in his underwear, like in his boxers? I'm like, that's really close to my hotel room. And as I keep going closer and closer, uh, he was right in front of my door and he was in his boxer shorts and he had completely gone to the bathroom all over himself. <laughs> So I, me being the, the, you know, 
concerned citizen that I am, I'm trying. I try to help him. I'm like, dude, are you okay? Like, what's going on? And he's just like turning around and it's like blah 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 blah. And I'm like, I'm like, man, you are really fucked up. Like, you're really drunk. I'm like, I can get you to your room. I just need to know where it is. And he was like gurgling. So I walk over and I get into my room and I call the front desk and I'm like, hey. I have a story. And they're like, okay. It's like 2.30 in the morning. And I'm like, you're not going to believe me when I tell you this. And this has happened to me on a couple occasions in stories. Like, you're not going to believe me when I tell you this, but there is a half-naked man that I think might be dying with poop all over himself outside of my hotel. And the desk kid is like 17, and he's like, he's like, no. And I'm like, what do you mean, no? Like, it's this is, this is a truth. This is happening. Currently happening. I'm like you need to do something about it. And he's like, I, I don't know why I should call the manager. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to call, you know, Kentucky police. So I called the police and I told them the story. So then they came up and as soon as they opened the door, they started asking me questions. They're like, how much have you had to drink? And I was like, whoa, home base here, man. Like I'm at, I'm in my hotel room. Like I, that's where I'm allowed to be drunk. Like th- this is one place here in my living room. I can be drunk as much as I want. But the guy that we're t- you're literally standing over that is covered in feces, I don't think he's allowed to be drunk out here. <laughs> but I'm cool. So then the guy's like, okay, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So the one guy looks at the other guy, and they're like, what do you want to do? And the, the one was like the supervisor, and he looked at the younger guy and was like, like put your gloves on. So the guy like puts his gloves on and then they found out what room he was in somehow and they just drug him down the hallway all the way down by his arms just because they didn't want to touch him and the one guy's like i'm not putting him in my cruiser and the other guy's like i'm not putting him in my cruiser so they just drug him down the hallway and like put him in the room and shut the door and that's the last i heard of poopy pants until five years roughly later he's checking in at the same hotel in front of me at at the same event so I don't know if he was on like a rotation, like if he was a vacuum salesman, like on rotation, and it just so happened that I was in the same rotation as him. But literally, he was checking in in front of me, and I was looking at my friend, and I'm like, I'm like, that's that's poopy pants checking in right now in front of us. And I didn't see him again that night, but that's the story of poopy pants. Oh my God, I I would have had to have tapped him on the shoulder, like bro. I got a story about you, you know. Um, Let's go have a drink. Oh, oh, oh my God! But the thing when is, you like, down I... the, when you called down to the front desk, <laughs> I would have said, "Hey, there's a guy outside. Looks like he's dying. He pooped yeah. his pants." And I'll take a turkey with, yeah. on rye with some. Yeah. I would have had to order room service. But 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 the guy just to say no, like I I don't I don't understand what now. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. no. Yeah, he's like, bro, getting paid three seventy five an hour. Not not dealing not happening. Not, not happening. Not not dealing with this one. So God. So so the the one of the many stories of uh, uh that that you've encountered with uh, uh with with Robert and Matt and everybody else. And speaking of Matt, Matt wanted me to show you this photo. Um. So uh, he uh, oh, we, 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 we had we we yeah. had him on a little impromptu show we mm-hmm. did the other night. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Caldwell knows Volato sleeps in Booth's t-shirts. As in only, only Matt would uh, would bring that up. How did you 
get hooked up with that crazy guy. Where, where did you guys first meet? Matthew? Yeah. Uh, we did an event at my <laughs> store. It was actually, you know, all of this whole thing, me and everything and Rob and Tom, Matt and everything is all Tom Lazuka's fault. So if you ever have law and you can blame him. The okay? Michigan guy, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. So Tom used to sleep basically on my dad's couch when he sold Calibri. And then he was with Camacho for a little bit. So the first thing Tom says to me is, oh, we got this really cool kid. I think you'll you'll get along with him. He's like into jewelry and, and like art and cool stuff. And I think you guys will get along. This is like 2009. And I was like, I'm like, cool. He's like, well, let's do an event. So I'm like, all right. So then I started researching this guy, and he's, like, from L.A. and does jewelry and all that stuff. So I'm like, I'm going to get a billboard. So I get, like, ten billboards of me and Matt, and I never even met him, up, like, down Youngstown. So, like, down the road, you drive by, and it's just me and Matt, like, 100 feet tall. <laughs> so, um, and it had nothing to do with the event. Like, I was such an idiot. Like, I didn't, like, explain any details. I was just, like, the conspiracy, and it was just a picture of me and Matt. So it, like, did nothing to benefit the event whatsoever. So he, like, shows up, and I didn't know that he was insane. <laughs> I also really didn't know how insane I was at the time either. Yeah. And then, like, we became really good friends from there. And then the stories, I mean, this, I mean, we could have another four hours of stories. But that that's where that relationship blossomed because of Tom Lazuka. Because so then, Tom yeah, so then three years later, Tom's like, hey, I know this crazy kid you might like. And I'm like, like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I just spent the last five years of my life, like, finding poopy pants in hotel rooms. Like, I don't, like, I run in the Matt booth and he's driving over porta-potties. Like, I, like, is this the cigar business? I don't, now I want you to meet this other kid. And I'm like, oh, God. And he's like, he has a cigar factory in Miami called Winwood. His name's Robert. I think you guys would really hit it off. So now, I, now, now he connects me with Robert, and now this is that's how this whole thing happens. Okay, now, now Val, I've never asked you. You've got to have a Matt Booth story, you know, all the PCAs. Do you have a crazy first time you met Matt? You know, Matt, maybe he's different with you guys, but he was just always very respectful, very polite, very. I don't know the Matt Booth you're talking about because oh. he was always so nice to me. And I remember at the is, is it is it are we talking about the set? We're talking about this one, right? You're not talking guy. about a different. Okay, I just didn't know okay. if we were talking about a different Matt. Um, and um, you know, at during the PCA shows, you all go to you know the Davidoff Lounge, and there's the Room 101 Gin Cocktail, and you know I gladly drink it because I I'm a Matt Booth fan. I I I think I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I think he's a genius. I think he's a marketing and designing genius in everything he does. That, and that, I also yeah. I also Agreed. met Robert and he's very tall. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like when when I got my picture next to him at one of the at, at the circle bar, um, you know, for drinks afterwards, I swear to God, I didn't I didn't even hit the guy's chest. He's that Who, tall. Who's right? taller? Um, be, uh, who's uh, Daniel Marshall or uh, uh, Robert Caldwell? Who's taller? Robert, oh, I Robert. Oh, is he? I okay. think, he, uh, I think uh, Sean, Sean Williams and Omar might be taller. I know Omar's taller than Robert. Wait, wait a minute. Sean Williams is tall? I, <laughs> I, I, no, I, no, I, 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 I don't think I've I, I, I never. I don't, so I Sean Williams? Never, yeah, I've never seen a picture of him with anybody else. Like, it's always a picture of him. So you have yeah, that. He, I didn't know Sean Williams was tall. 
Oh yeah, he's yeah. tall. He's real tall. Oh my yeah. god! And I've never met Omar in person. We we talk all the time. You tall. know, uh, at least once yeah, a week. Tall. So yeah, I, I know. I know he's he's a beast. But yeah, I didn't know Sean Williams was tall. That's yeah. uh. You know, all right. So, so, so you met. So you met. That's how you met uh, Matt, uh, Tom Lazuka, Robert Caldwell. Where did um uh, um those are always the two names. When you hear Tony Bellotto, you always hear Robert Caldwell, Matt Booth. Um, just those names always come up. Those stories that come up. Man, really? But the, yeah. It, it, that's and, that's and, really. That that's that's in, in really? the circle and in, in those in the circle I run in. You know that that's the names that always come. Maybe somebody else. You're like, oh hey, I know. You know Tony and. You know Carlito, and but no, it's always no, I got a good Matt Booth story for you. Yeah. So, but you know the name that doesn't ever come up, and and I've never heard the story, and I don't know if she is still with you guys, Jacqueline Sears. Mm-hmm. Is she still with Room One or um, um, Lost and Found? No. So the Jacqueline story is Jacqueline and I were friends, and she used to come to my shop and hang out and do work she was a private investigator and graphic designer or something at that time and we just she would just come to the store we became friends and um christian when we started la barba we had a big party at my shop and christian came up robert came up and tom came up and christian and jacqueline met and Christian really liked what the work that Jacqueline was doing instead of Robert. So they basically came to me and they said, do you care if we poach her? Because she was doing stuff for the store, like doing graphic design for the store and stuff like that. And whatever limited social media capacity there was from there. Uh, so she went down to Wynwood, moved to Miami, and started working for Christian and Robert. Um, a couple years later, um, after Robert Christian separated ways, um, Jacqueline came on board that's when we started lost and found and then a year after that is when caldwell cigars came out so she was working with lost and found and then robert was paying her full time to work with caldwell cigars and she was their in-house designer and marketer and then he and robert introduced her to i don't know if it was who was there at the time it would no yeah rob was Rob's, a, I don't know if you know this, he's like a weird art dealer, um, but he was he was doing some art something or other with Jonathan yeah. and showed Jonathan some of the stuff that Jacqueline had done. So Jonathan said, we should hire her for Drew. So then we were like, that's a bonus. You do it. Go right now. So she did that. She worked for Drew State for a little bit. And then she was approached by a company in California called Weed Maps. Yeah. Um, basically like the Uber of weed. So another promotion uh, to be creative director there. Uh, and they moved her to Los Angeles, <coughs> and she's been with them since. Yeah. So so you didn't meet her. I thought you met her. I would have met her at Young because she went to Youngstown State. You taught yeah. there. So I, I I thought that's where you. No, got. she was a customer, and then she um, from the design work that I saw that she did, she started working at, at the store uh, doing design work for me there but i started you know i was working at the store at 23 so i was still like in between what like figuring out wine in college and what i was going to do with the rest of my life all right so so when she went to drew estate what was she still like with you guys with lost and found though because she was still doing her name was attached to some projects you know all the way up until like 2020 wasn't it there was a lot of stuff that we had uh, had designs for that we just never released because we didn't have the cigars for it Oh, okay. You know, because we had like we had done stuff that 
everything that for, for that we do like has just been a conversation that has come up and then sometimes the pieces fit for the brand and sometimes they don't so it was like a bunch of stuff that she had done that we had collected for that brand that we just would be able to use every once in a while throughout that time and then after she left drew she kind of did some other stuff for us for a little bit um but now it's kind of like a contract thing if she wants to do stuff she can oh okay so so how did so how did the uh the, the lost and found come about you know a lot of people don't know that story of just you know because because robert had his own cigar business so how did how did the lost and found come about <clears throat> so um when i first met rob it was at winwood that's when i went down to blend la barba red um he and i developed that that blending concept together um while we were at Wynwood, Rob, also the way that Rob happened upon Wynwood was that was actually a warehouse for him for his other business called Hotel Humidor. And Hotel Humidor was a retail company that basically serviced um, all of the hotels and resorts in Miami Beach. Because believe it or not, at the time in the like 2010 ishes, Miami Beach didn't have like a cigar concierge. Like you would go to the Fountain Blue and they would give you cigars that were had bug holes in them that weren't properly humidified that they were like nobody was servicing these accounts and i'm, t- I'm talking about like double r special r's are on the list for 150 200 they come out and they're the wrappers cracked and there's buckles so rob saw a need to, to fulfill that and then became basically the cigar concierge of miami the winwood cigar factory was originally his warehouse that's where he would store all of his stuff for hotel humidor well, a couple, couple of the different hotels had approached him about making a private label. So he was at the time going to all these factories. That's how he met Christian. And that's how he met Christian through Davidoff because he was working with Davidoff with these hotel programs, so on and so forth. Um, Christian was going through the sale of Camacho. You know, this all happened in 2011-ish. Um, 2012, uh, Rob and Christian kind of had a difference of opinion. Uh, they split the factory and parted ways. Um, in that in that meantime, Rob was going to a bunch of different factories just trying to get us a home. Um, and in that meantime, he was finding stuff that was in these aging rooms that was designed to be something else that we were talking about before the show or at the beginning of. Um, things that were supposed to be other brands, things that were supposed to be, um, if they said a cigar was 2000 cigar limited edition, um, generally a factory will make 4,000 cigars just to make sure that those 2,000 are good. If they got to throw a thousand out, then they have their 2,000, right? So they have to make sure that they have their, the amount that they have. Um, so he was sending me these things from Dominican Republic, Honduras, Nicaragua. And I'm like, dude, these are amazing. And I'm like, you should just send me some bundles to my shop for me and my people. And we'll just make a little design on it and kind of see what people think. And it was never really meant to be what it is now, but that was the start. That was kind of the inception of, of how we, we found that was through our relationships with the manufacturers and figuring out um, the cigars that fit our palates, the cigars we loved. And we thought that would translate well to the consumers uh, ultimately. So what was that first cigar and did it sell out right away? Did it take a long time or what was the, the name of the first one? Uh, the full well, the first one was called the lost reserve 
and it was 99 cigars. It's funny you mentioned 100 cigars earlier. It was 99 cigars, and it was a an 8 by 38 like Mega Lancero that was made for some chic that passed away. Um, <laughs> and the cigar factory was in Costa Rica. Um, but the guy had a bunch of them, and the, the, the sheik had put this order in for these cigars, and then he passed away, and nobody wanted the cigars. So we smoked them, and there, there was a hundred, there was ninety nine of them left. And well, there was more than that. There was like a hundred and six. But Rob sent me a couple, and then he smoked a couple, and then there ended up being ninety nine. Um, that was called the Lost Reserve. Um, and then immediately following that was the Pepper Cream Soda. I think Robusto and one night no pepper cream soda Corona one night stand Robusto, I think were the and and then the um, backdoor Bambi, those were the first three. Ah, care yeah. eight by thirty eight Lancero as a Lancero fan. That sounds delicious. That, that, yes. that's that, that's a that's mm. a beast. And, uh, that is. Yeah, yeah, and I know uh, Val's also a fan of Lancero, but that eight by thirty eight that might be a bit much for me. You know, that's uh, uh, that's that's a that's a long, long cigar. It's a long um, sitting, Kev. It is a long, long sitting. sitting. So, so, what what's your what's your dad think about that when you're just bringing in? You know, being like I said, you're talking about you know, the Fuentes and everything else. So, so now you're bringing in these these unbanded, unboxed cigars. What was his thought of of you know? It's like you know, this is dumb. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you guys are a bunch of jerk offs. Basically, we had dinner and he's like, you guys are fucked up. And I was like, I'm like, it's going to work, Dad. I promise. And he's like, no, it's not. Oh. He still so, just me. I got yelled at today. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 I get, you know, it's that, that's father, father, son working with your, uh, with your dad, I guess. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're always going to get, always going to get yelled at. Um, so, and then, so at what point were you at the, uh, well, so Caldwell or Robert had his, you started lost and found, um, did, did Robert push you into like La Barba? Like, Hey, you got to create your own cigars or, or what, where, where did that La Barba come in at? La Barba's two years older than Caldwell. Oh, is it? Oh, yes. I did. Okay. This is my 10th anniversary. Okay. Um, La Barba started with an idea I had and. I had like a Gerber baby insurance policy for like $5,000. Um, and I cashed it in. Another thing that they were pissed, my parents were pissed about, obviously. <laughs> so I cashed that in because I was like, I'm going to cash this in and start a cigar company. They're like, that's a great idea. So uh, I did that and I started with La Barbaret and I was doing everything out of the store. I was importing directly to Ohio. Um, Buying the boxes myself, the bands myself, cigars myself, did all the blending. Um, and just started with like five accounts and then like cold calling people like, hey, do you want to try the cigar? You know, I made it with Christian Aroa and Robert Caldwell, blah, blah, blah. And they were 10 count boxes. And I just started like hustling and that was right around Poopy Pants time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's never, no. yeah, never going to go. And I'll send you the video yeah, if I can yeah. find it somewhere. Oh my God. That'd be awesome. So now, now didn't you, didn't you have a partner at the beginning with, uh, um, uh, with La Barba? So I still do have partners with La Barba. So the original, I have a, a lot of partners now with La Barba, but I had originally, it was started by me and uh, a kid named Craig Rossi, who was an engineer and 
uh, a consumer. And then Hunter and Andrew, uh, Hunter Vogel and Andrew Lerner from Treasure Hunter Wines, who I became friends with through my, like, messing around with wine, who that's who we later did the wine brand with. Um, but they, we all started that together um, back in 2012. And then I think in 2016 or 15, something, I don't remember what year it was, um, I approached Robert about, you know, it's very hard to distribute a cigar from Ohio because you have what's called OTP tax. Uh, so it's 50 cents or 17% per cigar um, on, on your cost. And we have to pay that as a retailer. Um, the difficult part about that is you never get that money back if you send the cigars out of state. You're always like getting a, a tax bill credit. Oh, okay. So it's just a cash flow issue. Like I was just paying, you know, 50 cents per cigar extra and then trying to get the money back. And for a small, for a small business, it was very difficult. Plus, I didn't have any infrastructure. I didn't have sales guys. I didn't have like a warehouse. I didn't have any uh, office support. So that's when I asked Robert if he was interested uh, in starting a distribution company instead of just selling Caldwell cigars, if he would sell, uh, if he'd be interested in making an agreement to sell well, Barbara Cigars as well as his own product. And that's when he started down and back. And that's when down and back started distributing Caldwell and La Barba, and then eventually lost and found. All right. So, so Craig is still, you know, he's still part of the business. Uh, silently, I guess. Okay, silently. So, so he still, so he still works at the machine shop because I need a machinist, like a good machinist. <laughs> so, is he still, so, is he still at Warren Precision down the road from you? No, he works for like a like a massive. Like this is why he kind of was like, I'm gonna take a back seat. Uh, he got a job for some, they make like these gigantic, I don't know, you might need one, I don't know, but they make these like, like hundred foot diameter brakes for like gigantic, like heavy machinery. Ah, oh, yeah, I, I did a little research and I saw it one time yeah. he was something with a machine shop. I'm like, oh, I need a, I need a machinist. So, all right. Yeah, he started, they started, it's funny because he started with like <laughs> tiny, they used to make just bolts, literally bolts. And now they make, now he makes like these giant disc brakes for like. You know those big fucking dump trucks you see that the wheels oh, are yeah, yeah. the size of Robert Caldwell. That that's what he makes. Oh my god, I got I got I, I I got to get hooked up with him. If, especially if they're making those in Ohio, I got I got to see how that's made. Cleveland, um, yeah. you know that's uh that that's badass. Um, so so with, with so La, La Barba, um, you haven't had like La Barba hasn't had a lot of like new brands or or new. You know, you guys got, you know, you've stayed the course. You had your core brands. Do you have anything new in the plans for La Barba coming up anytime? Yeah, La Barba, Ricochet, Connecticut. One day. <laughs> so so just, just and what about line extensions or? On, or La, Bar on La Barba, the Ricochet, Connecticut will end cap the, um, any, new, any new line, any new core lines coming from La Barba. There may be a limited edition here or there. But Ricochet Connecticut will end cap um, the La Barba core series of lines. Okay. The, the end of that. Um, everything else will still be produced, and I'm still going to maintain quality control over those products. Um, but La Barba has a brand that will end cap with Ricochet Connecticut, and then we'll transition into the Bellotto series of, of cigars. Okay, and we're definitely going to get to get to that here uh, um, uh, shortly. But uh, um, I've never heard the story La Barba. I mean, I've, I've read, I've seen other stuff you've done, interviews. I've never heard the story like La Barba. Like where did, and then, you know, the, the razor. 
I, I don't know where that came from, and that was, that was one thing I definitely needed to get in. Well, there's a that story's funny because there's a couple different um, things that kind of come together to, to to make that story. So it started out as, you know, when when Rob and I were talking originally, we were always talking about like, oh, all these cigar brands are like la this and la that and la whatever, and that's where la whatever came from, by the way. Oh. Um, <laughs> so when and we were thinking about it, and I was thinking about what I was going to call this thing, you know, that I'm, you know gonna do and i remembered uh donnie marzano now donnie marzano was my dad's barber and i grew up in barber shops and cigar shops and i remember donnie marzano used to chew on a cigar but he, he was the kind of guy that it would the cigar would be back here like that oh god and then he would like pull it out and the, the like stuff would go down his chin <laughs> or he would just have a gigantic dip in and he would spit, and I swear to God, I mean, I was like five, so it could be two feet if it was 200, <laughs> right? But I just remember him, like, spitting this long string of brown chaw spit into the spittoon. And the guy wore cowboy boots, and he had a 45 on his hip. And I remember, like, that was, like, that was that's so cool. But in the barbershop, I learned, like, the stuff that I wasn't le- allowed to learn about at the dinners, you know, like, like... I, at dinner, I learned about wine and like proper food and etiquette and like how to be a grown up. And then at the barber shop, I learned about like strippers and drugs and swear words <laughs> and all that stuff and guns and you know where what all the shit you learn about at the barber shop. And then it reminded me of a story my dad told me once about Donnie Marzano and the golf course. Now Donnie Marzano was not just a barber; he was also into other things. And I'm sure the statute of limitations has passed on those things, <laughs> but I'm not going to mention what those things were. But my dad <laughs> took him to the country club because, I, like I said earlier, my dad's a big golfer, scratch golfer, and said, Donnie, why don't you come golf with me? So they go out, and they're at this country club, and, of course, they're like the only Italians there. And they're, Donnie goes to make this putt, and they had a, probably four or $500, which back then in the – 90s was a lot of money oh, yeah. on, on this putt and and he just whiffs this putt and out comes the 45 and just <laughs> boom, 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 whole clip into the green at this country club everybody hits the deck my dad is flipping out they kick him off the golf course the police are there my dad's got to like pay the police to not arrest Donnie. He's got to pay the country club guy to not get kicked out of the country club. It's this huge deal. But I always, the, and the, the, ultimately the way that it, it melded was like that, that rite of passage for me about, you know, learning how to balance those two things, number one, and number two, like bringing that, um, that kind of rite of passage when, you know, you smoke your first cigar with your dad or your mom or, you know, you play golf or you get your hair cut for the first time. And like those like sort of things that bring you into being an adult, I attribute to cigars, wine, coffee, food, you know, learning all those things is kind of like where uh, the idea of La Barba came from. Because he, Donnie used to give the straight razor shaves. So then the straight razor came and then I was like, and the word for straight razor in Spanish is navaja, which is really hard to say, and it kind of sucks. Yeah. And so 
then I was like, La whatever. And then I was like, what's beer? And then it was La Barba. And I was like, La whatever, La Barba. That's perfect. And then that was it. <laughs> and, and, that, and that was it. That so I, 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 I love that. I, I absolutely, it reminds me of a story my tattoo artist uh, um, had told. You know, he got a, a sandwich delivered. This is going back 20 some odd years, 25 years. Uh, and he opens up a sandwich from the delivery guy uh, from across the town and it had onions on it. Butch hates onions. And he's like, hey, sandwich got onions on there take it back and the guy goes can't you just pull them off so butch reaches in his and it's at the tattoo shop his uh drawer opens it up and gives this big old colt you know a six shooter points it at the guy and he's like no take it fucking back and make it again so the guy leaves call the cops like butch's dad had to get involved like don't arrest him and those those were the days when you could just well, pull if you, guns if you, out. What happened, and... That you automatically are destined if your name is Bush. That's just how yeah. it happens. <laughs> I, I, actually, his 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 real name is uh, uh was Anthony Jerome. What um, is uh, is his real is his real name? And then uh, it was Butch from when he was little. Yeah, you know. So oh, that was that was Butch tattoo artist. Um, so you would talk about like I said, getting into the and getting into the wines. Uh, Val, um, take us here from there. You know, the Viva La Vida wines. I don't know anything about wine, but Val, that is your specialty. Okay, so I looked at Viva La Vida wines, but I want to circle back to your WSET training. You're an L3 sommelier, right? Yeah, same as you, who I haven't met too many of us, which is I know, honor. there's not too many. Um, and you were an educator for wines at Youngstown University. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. All right. So when I was the wine and whiskey educator for the university in my city, I found that everybody would kind of snicker because they'd say, oh, you're the wine and whiskey educator. So that means you get paid to drink. And that's not exactly what it's all about um, no, for me. So I, I, I basically changed my <laughs> title to Dean of Liquid Studies. And I'm that's kind that, of gangster. <laughs> wow. Let me write that down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dean of Liquid Studies. Okay. Got well, it. I mean, they, they pushed me to it, right? I didn't have a choice. What could I do? Um, so I, I just like to hear your opinion on, on you know, the, the view that people who have a W set level three wine and spirits accreditation being told that you you know you just get paid to drink that's not what it is is it no it's not and it, it's it's the same when people the cigar industry is the same way everybody wants to be a cigar rep until they're a cigar rep. they're like oh you get paid to just like go around and smoke cigars all day but no like there's business to be done and i completely agree with you and to, to add to the story like my kind of thing has always been to be a little bit more casual about wine and spirits because it's very it's very close to being like what cigars is very intimidating world to come into so if you can be you know i hate to say it what we are but to be to be like educated in 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 this and to teach other people i think we we have to eliminate that uh pretentiousness that it brings first first mm -hmm. off um and secondly we have to make it easy for people to be able to approach approach everything um and that's kind of where i went when when i taught the class was kind of like you don't have to be scared of it but to answer ultimately your question um it is not 
it first of all it's not easy to to do and i don't want to like toot our horns but it's a very hard program it's it is difficult to get through it's, it's no different than getting a master's degree in something um and at the like at the very end of it like drinking has very little to do with it actually it's only like an hour right uh, if that a uh, part of it i mean it's yeah like we have to know like how to approach a glass of wine you, know, you have to know your clarity your color you have to know your aromas you have to know your flavors but like not like like when people say like oh this is like tahitian vanilla bean from the 70s that was in you know ronald mcdonald's basements you know that it's like <laughs> you get aromas for reasons and we had to learn those reasons like when you smell banana it's because of those esters when you smell or taste butter it's because of the lactic acid when you taste green apples it's because of malic acid it's not just because it's there and it's just some magical thing it's there's reasons for it and it's like our job to kind of know those reasons but ultimately at the end of it it's also our job to know because we're providing our customers with a service it's our job to know whether or not that wine is acceptable for them to drink without them even having to try it right so we have to know you know, and I don't know if you guys know, like, the, the ultimate history of the sommelier. Like, the guy had to be able to taste such a little amount of wine to be able to tell if there was poison in it for the king, right? That's the right. story. Like, if there's, if there's, that's why they wear the little fucking cup thing. So, <laughs> because if you drank more than that, then it might be too much cyanide and you might die. So, they had to get pretty good at being able to smell and taste wine in order to not kill themselves. Really, like, if you, if you taste the king's wine and you die, like... The king's not going to drink it. He's fine. But it, you're putting your neck out there, right? Yeah. yeah. So, like, what what you might not know was there was a lot of people who wanted to assassinate leaders, and they felt the easiest way to do that was to put poison into their bottles of wine, keeping in mind that in a lot of those days, wine was purer to drink than water. You couldn't oh. drink the water. And beer. You could beer, drink too. The wine. Right. Beer as well. And in beer parts too. of the country, yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, and it's funny, all those stories, you know, like the uh, um, even moving forward, wine in, in the era of Thomas Jefferson, you know, they it wasn't already bottled for you. Like there wasn't it, there wasn't like Joe's Liquor Mart down the street. No. Like you would go to a, a, a guy that would take barrels of, say, Chateau Lafitte and pour and fill the bottle. Well, it turns out like especially if you're from Youngstown, you can cheat a lot by putting your own wine in the Chateau Lafitte barrel, right? 100%. So, and, and that's a funny fact, and, and I think Val can back me up on this, is that's where the, the presentation of the cork came from. It wasn't because for you to smell it. That's got nothing to do with it. Because also cork taint, or what is it, TCL, has nothing to yeah. do with the, the cork itself. It has everything Trichloranosol. Yes, it has everything to do with the a bacterial infection in the wine itself. Right. The presentation of the cork was so you, you could see the winemaker's signature because people got so sick and tired of getting screwed over. They went to the winery and said, you bottle this here. You sign the cork, put the cork in, and then dip that shit in wax. So I know when I get it, it's real. Yeah. But there's a lot of little things that like we've learned throughout this that it's our job to pass that knowledge down. And I think that's cool because it's very... Um, it's like it's a lot like cigars and it's it's an industry and an art that's passed down through people you can't just open up a book and learn it yeah yeah 
And so you've created a sparkling rosé. Yes. And I'd like to learn more about that. Um, I'm actually an, an accredited Wines of Provence educator. Just oh. Okay, I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah. And it will... <laughs> No, so I'm trying no no bullshitting, Tony. Yeah, she's gonna call you out. Yeah. <laughs> like in addition to WSL3. Um and and I want you to know that I earned it. Um, because we in Provence we went through a couple of days of training, blah blah blah. And when we walked into that testing room, which was the same room that we had tasted all these Provence rosés, um we were totally expecting the typical clear um, ISO standard wine tasting glasses, but oh no, they had them in black opaque glasses. So Perfect. we couldn't prejudge the wines based on color. And if you know anything about rosé, color can tell you a lot. Like 90%? So, oh, 90%, right. right. So to be able to pass and get that distinction took a great deal of and I'm going to say it it took a great deal of skill and I'm very honored to be able to say I passed that now you have created a sparkling rosé in Spain am I right yep and I have a couple of questions for you why a sparkling rosé and why Spain and not Italy for your wine now, now, can I can I interrupt one second because I don't know what is rosé. I've heard rappers talk well, about I can, rosé. I so yeah, we can both answer that question. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a lot of <laughs> terrible, terrible things about rosé, but it's one of the greatest things ever invented. Oh, look at that! Okay. So that is awesome, and I want that. So if you can send that to me, three ninety Raymond Avenue, Northwest Warren, Ohio. Before, before yeah. You. Um. To answer Kevin's question, rosé is a, it can be a number of things. Um, some people cheat. You know, white Zinfandel was a mistake because the skins didn't sit on on the, the must long enough, and there was still fermentable sugar left in it. Um, I'm just going to try to make this as quick as possible, but that's why it came out sweet, just because it wasn't done yet, right? Um, rosé and sparkling wine. There's a lot of big workarounds, which I hate. Uh, one of the big workarounds is. Uh, when you do the dosage or the end uh, of a white wine, it, you would add red wine, hence making it pink. So if you have three quarters of a white wine and you add red wine on top of it, naturally that'll make it pink, right? Some people claim that as a rosé, but it's not. Um, our rosé, to, to get back to Val's question, is macerated for eight hours on the skins. So it's, Kevin, as you know, when you squeeze a grape, the color of the juice is white, correct? Yeah. Or clear, for that matter. What makes a red wine red is the amount of time it sits on the skins. It makes a, what makes a white wine colored is the amount of oxidation, basically, or the amount of malolactic fermentation and oak that goes into it. That has the brown tints and, and the color, the golden colors of it, right? But essentially, when you squeeze a grape, the juice is clear first. Everything that happens, like, like when you make a whiskey, right? You make moonshine or, or any, any spirit, you're distilling clear. And then what adds the color is oak aging or different uh, ways of manipulating that spirit. Well, real rosé is very similar, only depending on what you're trying to do is you're taking a very... The, the, the difficult thing with rosé, and Val, you can kind of back me up here because you're obviously like way better at this than I am. But like it depends, like the, the fermentable sugars in a, in a grape give you what's called 
there's the amount of sugar that a grape can be fermented to. Then there's the amount of sugar that's actually in the grape, right? So there's an amount, and the difference is called bricks, right? Right. So if you have a, a grape that has this amount of sugar, but the yeast can only eat this much, that means that much is still sugar. So that gives right. you a sweet wine. Well, residual the, sugar. Residual sugar. So the closer you can get to that, the more dry the wine is. That's why most Cabernets and darker wines are like 15, 17, sometimes percent. Because you have a lot of fermentable sugar and a real dark-skinned grape. Well, with rosé wines, it's a very hard process because you can't let the skins or the, the juice uh, sit on the skins for a very long period of time in order to ferment away that sugar. So it's a very delicate balance of finding the right grapes. And Val will probably bust my chops because I use Pinot Noir, especially if she's a Provence lady. Like I should have used Syrah or Grenache, you know, that, that, those grapes. But um, that's what you're looking for in a rosé. And rosé, real rosé, is not sweet. Almost, no, it's almost it's never dry. cloying. You want real dry, crisp, like bubblegummy kind of, like that's what I love about it. So to finish, to polish off the question, why Spain and not Italy? Uh, because I couldn't find a Prosecco producer to produce me a dry rosé. That's why. Oh, okay. Fair because enough. They're, they're, because, I don't, because whatever Prosecco producers are out there are like, no, it, it's got to have the sugar in it. No, it's, it's uh, the sugar. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> but then, you know, you go to... <laughs> But then if you go to like Francia Corza where they make true method style, which is Viva La Vida, then you run into the problem of calling your wine a Francia Corta and knowing, no one know, knowing what the hell it is, right? So it's kind of a balancing act. And then we found this house in Spain that did real rosé, 100% Pinot Noir, eight hours on the skins, uh, very little grams per liter of sugar. I think it's seven, five to seven, six maybe grams per liter of sugar. Um, and in traditional method, so it's a it's a real cava. So we find have found that perfect marriage of everything that we wanted. And the other thing to add on top of that is the uh, my original idea is I wanted a a nice dry, inexpensive bubble that you could drink every day, and that would stand up to cigars. Yes. And those were my parameters. But I go to Fran if I go to France Accorda or if I go to France imported that wine's 40 or 50 dollars yes it's still great but it's okay. not something that you're going to drink every day right but then you go to, you go to spain and barcelona and you know cava's a lesser known thing and it's just less expensive um to get made and imported into the u.s and i think he should probably expand on traditional method i don't think people realize just how work intensive traditional method is when it comes to sparkling? Uh, yeah, so traditional method is the difference between handmade cigars and machine made cigars. Exactly. For all, for all intents and purposes. I mean, traditional method is so when you're making, when you make a sparkling wine or any wine for that matter, right? Um, and everybody, if everybody's seen Face Off, that story is actually true um, about the Franciscan monks and the, you know, the exploding bottles. But, oh, okay, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the movie Face, yeah. oh, yeah, face yeah. Off with Nicolas Cage, and he, yeah. he's all nervous, and he tells the story, and that's how he invented the, the poisonous gas that kills the entire world. But um, <laughs> when, you make, when you make a wine, right, you have yeast eating sugar, 
the yeast eats the sugar like Pac-Man and basically the byproduct is it farts carbon dioxide and pees alcohol for all intents and purposes. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so yeast are an animal and it's a pretty cool job, but yeast's entire lifespan is eating sugar, pooping, peeing and farting until they drown themselves in their own liquid. Okay. <laughs> that is what the wine is so to, it, to, it, to make it really attractive. And then what happens after you drink it? You become Mr. Poopy Pants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you can ferment that and it all over again. Yeah. Um, but tr like traditional method is um, usually when you're making any other sort of wine, right, you're allowing the carbon dioxide to escape, right, leaving you with alcohol, a little bit of sugar, um, and, of course, the, the flavors that happen when yeast, you know, depending on the yeast, eats, eats the sugar. Um, but if there's nowhere for that gas to go, then it stays in the bottle. And that was essentially the entire first mistake of, of champagne is they left it in the cellar for too long without letting the gas escape. So traditional method champagne making is keeping the gas in the bottle. And it's, it's kind of like, uh, what was that? There was a game that, was, that they did that in, but it's kind of like you have to, like, so you have a bottle of wine like this, right? And the bottom of it, after a while, you have, it's called, it's actually called liquor to triage, correct, Val? That they add the, the yeast sugar mixture to start the, the secondary fermentation. Right. Or is that the dose? Yeah. So it's like the, liquor to triage. No, the dosage is, like, is at the end. That's when you right, add the Right. The dosage sugar. is the extra, right? Right. The liquor to triage, I think, is the, like, a little bit of wine the sugar and yeast that they yes. add. Yeah. So they add a little bit of that to the bottom of the bottle to kind of jumpstart bubbles and they put a beer cap on top of it. And the reason for the punt of a wine bottle is not so you could stick your finger in it to pour over people because that's what most weight service people do. It's actually just to distribute the surface tension so the bottle, the bottoms of the bottle don't blow out, right? It makes so, the bottle stronger. Correct. Oh. And it, it, yeah, it pushes the, but it doesn't push the bubbles all. It's not like a Coke and Mentos thing. It, it dissipates the surface area of the liquid, so it's not all pushing on one point of the bottle. So anyway, I remember, there's like, there's like a gazillion bubbles in a bottle of sparkling wine or champagne. Yeah, it's insane. It's and that's like, a lot of pressure. That's the tire. That's the that's the equivalent pressure of a tire in a double decker bus. Yes. Wow. Wow. So. But here's the trick. What you have to do is you have to try to figure out how to get that shit out, right? You can't just leave the yeast and the, sh and the sugar and stuff in the bottle or then you're going to have like a cloudy, gross mess. So what a lady, uh, her, it's Grand Dame Champagne, right? She was, she was right. the one that kind of invented this. Um, right. She figured out if Vuv we take... Vuv Madame Vuv yes. She figured out if you take the if you take that bottle and you go like this, right? So you have it, and then you go like this, and then like this, and then over like days, this, over days, days, and, days weeks, and days, by you'll, hand, weeks. You'll slowly move it, and they have a rack that moves the bottle eventually upside down. So if you move it slow enough, low enough, and long enough, you won't shake the bubbles out, but you'll move all that stuff to the top. Then she figured out. If you freeze that, right? Hence the reason why the the, the reason why the on a on a bottle of champagne the foil goes down to the neck is because of this. 
So when if you would freeze it and then pop the beer cap, out would come all the garbage that was at the bottom, and you'd be left with a clear champagne that had bubbles. And then you would put a cork in it and put a cap on it. That's traditional method champagne. But it was only it would only be it would only be filled to the neck. So they in order to make it look attractive, they would put the foil down to the neckline of And that's of called the, the dressing. They dress the bottle to conceal the loss. But now in the twenty second century or whatever we're in, people sometimes to make a rose will add red wine at the end to make it pink. They'll also add people will also add different things to the wine to fill up the, the rest of it. Now, what I admire about you doing traditional method, I'm going to make a reference to what Peter Hetzik does, and I don't know if you can see this, but this is this is a rare, this is their this is known as their rare champagne. And what's important about the traditional method is the length of time that you can keep that bottle. And I have a bottle of this. Okay, it's behind me. Um, and I quote from Wine Spectator is that it's good from 2012, 2012 to 2040. <laughs> like, like, that's a sensational amount of time that you can keep traditional method. That's, right. That's three decades. That's 30 years. <coughs> I mean, that's crazy good. And so for you to do traditional method for your Viva La Vida is just, it, it blows my mind. I don't know what you're charging for it. I'm glad actually to hear that you're using Pinot Noir. Uh, and, and the reason I say this is because Pinot Noir is a very, very, I can't add enough varies to this sentence. It's a very difficult grape to grow because it's a thin-skinned grape. It delivers amazing results, but it's very difficult to grow. Just like me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Val's 100% correct. And, you know, like my Val, we could probably geek about, out about this forever. If the guys want the show to move on, just let me know. But, you know, I've always been obsessed with grower champagnes right and that was that was what i originally wanted to do but trying to find an in-house in grower bottler producer to have so viva la vida is on the shelf it's 14 dollars. oh so, are you kidding me no no no. that's amazing so, what a to value. find to find a producer a grower producer in champagne so to give you guys another like expounded champagne history right Champagne isn't generally a vintage product, and it's generally not bottled at the place where the grapes are grown. So a lot of things in that area, especially in Burgundy, these people have contracts with different plots of land all over. So they might have a plot of land over here for their Pinot Noir, a plot of land over here for the Pinot Marais, a plot of land over here for their Chardonnay, and they could be in different counties, they could be different towns, and they'll buy all that juice, take it back to one place and make the champagne. That's what Dom Perignon does, Moet, all these people. And then what they'll do is they'll, excuse me, they'll blend vintages so that their champagne tastes the same all the time. So it's like on anywhere between 2016 and 2021, right? It's always like a moving average of the year of the champagne. Um, and that's the way our cava is done. You know, we don't have a vintage cava. We don't have a vintage cava. 
Um, but grower champagnes are champagnes, and if you guys can find them, do it. It'll change your whole life. A grower champagne is a, is a wine that is made 100% on property and then bottled, riddled, and produced at the chateau. And there's not a lot of people that do it. But you know what is one that's very famous is the Ace of Spades. That is a grower champagne, the one that Jay-Z owns. But Cristal wow. is not. Oh. So. so there's your lesson in wine and sparkling wine. And honest to goodness, if, I mean, one of the biggest problems I have is people are saying, asking me, whether it's food or cigars, what does it pair with? Well, well, that's a very difficult question to answer because it's a moving target. And part of that moving target is I don't know what's in your market. I can't tell you what it will pair with because I don't know what you have access to. Um, but I will tell you this, drink what you like, smoke what you like, eat what you like, and if it works, great. If it doesn't, you've still had a great experience. And you know, and then if you don't like it, to expound on that, now you know what you don't like. And in order exactly. to know what you, in order to know what you like, you have to go through the shit of knowing what you don't like. And I think that's another important because people get discouraged. And I'm like, don't be upset. Don't like, it, yeah, it. it didn't, it didn't work out. But now you know, you know, learn from your mistakes. Now you know not to do that again next time. And then if you keep doing that, then that develops your palate and develops your ability to pair things well or correctly or however you want to call it. Now, Tony, my last question for you is, okay, you're, you're into all of the sensory experiences um, in our world, which is cigars and wine and coffee. Do you have any plans to get into barbecue? I mean, barbecue is an up-and-comer, and low and slow barbecue is amazing. <coughs> I I've, I heard you did barbecue. Kevin told me earlier. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm very intrigued by this because barbecue and red wine is one of the greatest things ever. Um, especially barbecue and Zinfandel. Especially barbecue Zinfandel yeah. and broadleaf. Those three things, and then like dessert. But I I mean I would never not entertain it. I'm just not a I'm not a a chef or a cook. I know plenty of chefs. But I think that it, it could be fun to, to learn, which I like to do. How, how's the barbecue scene in Youngstown compared to all your other travels? <laughs> it, I mean, it's just like anything. It's implanted, right? So, yeah. you know, it, Youngstown is very Italian-American. We have our own stuff, right? But it's everything's implanted. So our barbecue guys are guys that come from Texas or guys that come from Kansas City. That's good because we have like a melting pot. You know, there's guys that you know, get into arguments about whether or not you put sauce on your barbecue still. And, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, you'll go to one restaurant that'll have 37 sauces and you're like, ooh, sauce. And then all of a sudden they're like, don't you put sauce on that? Yeah. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so, and then, so, so, so then, then we bring in, so, so, so you've done the cigars, now, now your wine, now, now you're, now we'll, let's get into the, the coffee. Um, actually, your your next endeavor, and we're gonna play. It's only like two and a half minutes, so let, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, Youngstown Coffee. We are standing in the roastery of Youngstown Coffee Company, and it is important because 
Youngstown deserves good coffee every day, all the time. Tim Ferriss has been with this company since the very beginning. The roastery is actually located in the back of the Boardman Havana House location. The space might be small, but the scent is huge. And it all started thanks to one single brew. The owner, Tony Bellotto, knew his team was onto something, something strong, to say the least. The birth of Youngstown Coffee Company really started when uh, Luke Foster, who is actually an employee at Nile Savannah House, he created his own blend for cold brew. And we put it on tap at Nile Savannah House and it blew up. And Tony, you know, saw an opportunity and took it. And here we are five years later. In those five years, this crew has developed new blends, new flavors, and new methods to ensure taste and quality. But it all starts with that all-important bean. What makes a good cup of coffee is, number one, good beans. And we've got that checked off the list. The next thing is somebody who knows what they're doing when they're roasting. And um, our roasters, Luke and Garrett, they've, you know, started, they've been here since the beginning, and they've only been... Uh, you know, improving their craft sense. Once the beans are roasted, the blends can be created. And Youngstown Coffee has plenty of creative ones to offer. I personally love our single origins. We source our beans from all over the world. Um, best quality that we can find. Uh, personally, I suggest the Nicaraguan or the Ethiopian. Can't go wrong with those. Uh, we also have a lot of um, blends, and those blends are a mixture of those single origins. So our Spotted Owl blend is really popular. Uh, our breakfast blend is really popular. And then we have a ton of flavors, and those are really our best sellers. Everybody loves our flavors. The Roastmasters make this space come alive every Tuesday. They even have specialty blends that are created with and for local breweries like Birdfish, located in Columbiana. But with so many different ways to enjoy coffee, how do the experts take theirs? Tim was happy to share a cup of knowledge with us. And there's no K-cup involved. Here's why. Temperature of water. Temperature of water. That's why uh, K-cups, for anyone that enjoys a really good cup of coffee, or, you know, coffee snobs tend to steer away from K-cups. And I know they are really popular because they're really easy. But K-cups, they, they have their, the temperature of their water is so high. And the higher the temperature of the water, the more acidity that's brought out in a cup of coffee. All right, uh, Kevin had to step out for a second, so uh, Carrie, he said for you to go ahead and... For me to take could, over? Yeah, but I do want to say the, uh, the Spotted Owl is my favorite coffee. Kevin and I got the bundle, and um, I drank all of it. <laughs> I drank all the coffees. I, I think he had made one cold brew, and then like I just took over all the coffees. <laughs> Spotted Owl is a good one. Well, good for you, Jessica. It, Very know, good, Jessica. You should always it's about time. It. You should always open his coffee packages and drink all of his coffee. Yeah, I should. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to be ordering yeah. some soon, and I'll hide it from Jennifer. Yeah, so yeah. She would do that to me. Um, I don't have the elaborate. I, I can't say I'm the dean of cafecito grande. Um, <laughs> uh, not even a little bit. And uh, I, I know we were talking before about um, you know the importance of roasting. Obviously, the the, the importance starts with the bean. But um, it's just incredible with the amount of, of coffees that are out there and, and all the, the local roasteries. 
Um, I'm really, for me personally, learning more about the roasting process that you take. And I know we were talking about the importance of the first crack and the second crack and being able to, to get the uh, the oils um, out of the bean to the perfect point where you're not drying them out. What process do you, do you guys do you go through it? And, and how, how do you tell from the first crack to the second crack and and when that roasting process is done? So, there, I mean, there's a couple ways to do it. Um, I, when we started originally, we started with a, a little, um, like five, a little five pound roaster that was from the like late eighties, uh, the Turkish machine and had all metric parts and, uh, we couldn't find anything to fix it. And that was a real fun adventure. But, uh, to Kevin's earlier question is why I'm, I'm not on social media as much. It's cause I'm fucking busy. <laughs> like, like Rob doesn't do anything. I'm busy, you know? Um, anyway. So when we originally got the um, the roaster, you know, that's all manual. And basically how that roaster works is there's a manifold underneath a drum. And that drum spins slowly with the coffee inside of it. And you control the temperature by turning on and off the manifold. Um, and you have two temperatures. You have the, the drum temperature and you have your burner temperature. Um, so... To make the make the process quick and easy for everyone listening, the coffee goes into a, a big dishwasher or not dishwasher, a big uh, dryer. It starts to roll. You throw on the fire. The fire comes up underneath. It lights. Um, it starts to heat the drum, and the drum is very thick iron. Uh, it'll start to heat that up. And then you are start controlling the temperature, and then you start to listen. So what happens with a coffee bean is, you know, obviously it comes green, um, and it's not actually a bean; it's a seed. So to, just so everyone knows, it's the center of a fruit um, called the cascara fruit. It's like a cherry, basically. Um, once that process starts, what will happen is the heat will start to convert the starch to sugar, which, again, this seems like a very common theme amongst the show, right? We talk about tobacco fermentation, wine fermentation, and coffee roasting. They're all very similar things. Um, so during that first crack is when that conversion happens. Um, the water starts to expand, um, and you're converting the starches. And the green taste, like if you ate a green piece of coffee bean, it would taste like a bell pepper. Um, once that process starts, when you get the, the, the coffee bean heated up enough for that starch to sugar conversion to happen, very much like making a beer, is when the roast, quote-unquote, profile of a coffee bean starts. Um, and if you looked at a graph, it would be basically like fruit and nut flavors, going, uh, I'm reversed here, but going this way and then roast profile going this way. And then in the middle is where your roast and your fruit profiles meet. So where you want that on the graph depends on where you stop the roast between first and second crack. Second crack is when the bean actually starts to burn. So you have about... Uh, once you start to hear second crack, you get like a minute, maybe, depends on how much coffee you're roasting, before it's all charcoal. So in between first and second crack is where your flavor profile is. So doing it by hand, and that's how we wanted to, to start doing it, um, and it's actually how we still do it now, but we don't have to do it that way with our new roaster. But doing it by hand, your, your, your roaster um, knows when those periods are going to happen just by muscle memory and by smell and by sight and if you saw during the video um 
there's number one a sight glass on the front and there's a little um i can't remember the name of it ever but it's it's basically like a cup that you turn like that and like two beans will fall into it and then you pull it out and you can look at where your roast is and that's how you do it manually um because once you like i said once you hit that second crack is when you start to risk like just right. catastrophe um so that that in between that period of time and that takes about 20 to 25 minutes depending on how big the roaster is and how much coffee's in there that is your roast profile wherever you pull that coffee out after first crack the second is that roast pro profile for that coffee bean to add on top of that you have different coffee beans that have different profiles that you need to pull out at different times so that is really where the specialty comes into it and really how uh experience kind of takes um precedent in that um but now what you can do ba i mean basically now what you can do is you can plug a, a tablet in and you know take a take a, a profile that you really like and store it and then the, the there will be a graph that'll kind of show you where your roast profile is and when to dump the bean and when to start cooling it etc 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 Oh, that's pretty cool. Okay. Uh, we started off with Mr. Poopy Pants, and now we're ending off with second and first and second crack. Yeah. So there's a theme going here. Sugar um, and butts. <laughs> sugar and butts. That, that's what it's all about. And and I'm sure between that first and second crack also will determine the, the, the level of caffeine because most people think a darker roast has more caffeine when it's really the blonde roast. Correct. So you, you're roasting out essentially – you're roasting off the caffeine. So right. by the time you're done with a roast, uh, if you took a roast to, to, to second crack, to full to full crack, like a full city roast, like what Starbucks is, um, your bean loses 20% of its weight. And that weight comes in sugar, caffeine, uh, and water. So a full city roast is mostly ro like roasted chaff of a bean for all intents and purposes. Whereas like a blonder roast or like a light city would be more fruity, more aromatic and have more caffeine in it because it's not roasted off. All right. How is blending? Now I know that there's single origin and you have your single blends, but you also have your blends of coffee. How is blending your coffee? Is it similar to blending uh, your cigars? Is there any similarities and, and differences between the two? They're similar in that, you know, in, and all the things I do, my goal is just is to achieve balance, right? And I think that that's the most important takeaway of of the sensory experience, right? So whether or not it's your pairing or your you know you're creating a coffee or wine or, or cigars, the ultimate goal and the, the passion is is finding the balance and the harmonics. Um, Val, have you ever ran across Andrew Jeffrey wines or um, I'm sure you know Chateau Montalena wines? Yes, hundred um, percent. I've 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 got one in my collection, and Chateau Montalena is just like it's an icon in wine, um, primarily due to the Judgment of Paris. Yes, the Judgment. So I had the rare, very odd opportunity, which is a whole other story, to have dinner with him. Um, nice. And he had just got done, he's like 60, and he had just got done surfing a hurricane in North Carolina. <laughs> and, I, and he was like, he was late for the, the meeting. It was a wine dinner. And, you know, there's all these people, like, in, like suited up and, like, vests and ascots. And I'm like this. And he, like, gets in the room late. He's all frantic. He's trying to work a PowerPoint presentation. Can't work it. Um, and everybody, of course, asks him about Screaming Eagles. His, his wife's Heidi Barrett. His name's Bo Barrett. They're like, Screaming Eagle this. And he's like, 
He's like, Screaming Eagle puts food on our table. We don't even like it. It just people <laughs> want people want to pay three thousand dollars a bottle for it. That's fine. We drink Chateau Montalena's in at our house, right? He's right. Screaming Eagle is like crazy expensive. So he ended up. We ended up sitting down because I didn't want to sit next to any of these people because they they were all those like, I don't know, and I hate to use the term, but they they were like pretentious assholes, right? And I I want to learn and I want to know. So I was sitting at this table by myself, and he ended up sitting next to me. And we got into this very in-depth conversation. It's very cool. And he told me the way that he blends wine is he blends it based on like the curtain rod theory, meaning that if your alcohol, your sweetness, or your tannin, if any of them aren't level, then the curtain's going to fall off the rod, right? So if you're too high in your alcohol, you're too high in your tannin, you're too high in your sweetness, then if any of those things are out of balance, then the curtain's going to fall off. Very obvious like idiom, right? But, but also very true. And the same goes for cigars, coffee, and wine. And most wines, whether or not they say Cabernet on them, are more likely more likely than not a blend. You're never going to have 100% of anything. Um, which I that's where I like that's where I like to live is in that zone of balance. So with coffee, it's a balance of the roast profile, the the fruitiness of the bean, and then the complexity of the blend. You know, that's that's where I like to to like swim around and that's the same where with wine and the same with tobaccos and you know what i love what you just said because you led with balance but you also led or you also added in length balance and complexity those are three very important um cornerstones pillars that you need for for anything that's going to provide a sensory experience I, I, I agree 100%. No, I, um, I'm sorry. I was a little delayed there. <laughs> I, I, was, I was mesmerized. I know, I'm like, I, just, I don't, like, happening? there's just too much. I don't, I, I don't know if it was a delay in my, in my, in my connection or a delay in my brain there. I feel like, like uh, Val and Tony need to do like a class seminar for yeah. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm the yeah. stupidest Please. guy on the panel here. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hey, uh, how's that coffee going for you? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, what always intrigued me about coffee is I, I, I love coffee. I, it, for me, it's the favorite thing I like to pair with cigars um, above anything else. Um, but when you get into flavored coffees, um, and, and I've seen all the different flavors that you have, I, I always kind of... It, it always intrigued me on how do you get a peanut butter cup coffee. I mean, uh, it's, I'm, I mean, it's always something as simple as throwing a peanut butter cup into the, into, <laughs> into the brewery process. Or the it ba- I mean, process. it basically is, and I don't want to like blow the top off of this whole thing, but right. um, we have a giant uh, like cement mixer that's made of BPA-free plastic, and it and it, the flavor comes in a giant tub that says peanut butter cup on it. <laughs> And then you get done roasting the coffee and you put the peanut butter cup into the coffee with the cement mixer and you roll it around and then you put it into a bag and then I send it to you. But that's literally how, that's literally how it gets flavored. That's the, like most, a, that's the most I've understood tonight, actually. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to beat around the bush and tell you that that part is a complicated thing because it really yeah. isn't. That's literally like we just have a big cement mixer that we, we have yeah. measured out and it's a flavor 
based on it's i mean it's gluten-free and allergen-free if that makes you feel any better <laughs> it it it's literally like a propylene glycol based solution that is uh, it's no different than like the like if you see the tarani syrups kind of that you put in like your cappuccinos it's kind of that but but thicker and more concentrated um so it sticks to the beans better uh here i don't what think you... you're being very honest about your uh foam art yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Karen is famous foam art. I can bring that up. My 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 foam art is is kind of like looking at laying back on your on a on a nice day, and looking at the clouds and everybody sees whatever they want. That's my foam. That's art. nice. That's art. I, I I I don't do any fancy flowers or anything. I put it in there. I say, here you go, Jennifer. That is um, a unicorn, um, sitting on a Saturn that uh, one of the rings broke. You know, yeah. it, it is. It's if you nice. if you agree, if you're just like yes, that's exactly what I was going for. Then you win. Yes. I, it's it's the power of persuasion and sales. It, it, that's what I do. I think Jennifer would disagree with anything because I make her a latte, so I could put anything in there. She'll agree with it. Um, what's your what's your favorite way to brew or 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 brew your coffee, and what is the best way in your opinion? Nope. Because obviously we heard about the K cup, and I, I'm not a fan of the K cup, never have been, and and it's really interesting to hear about the high heat and the speed of it. But I'm just curious, in your opinion, what's the best way that you enjoy coffee? We know Kevin likes his cold brew, um, and and what is the best way? I mean, it, it depends to me on the, the the ultimate like experience you're trying to have with it, right? So I love, like, one of my favorite things is is drinking Dominican coffee with a like boatload of sugar in it and blending cigars in Dominican Republic on a hot day. Like I love that, even though it makes me sick to my stomach, like at noon, if I don't have any chicken, but <laughs> at the same time, like that, I love that. Right. So I love that, like that mocha pot coffee with a ton of sugar in it. I love Miami Cuban coffee, but my, like every day, what I love is like a medium roasted. I only usually have Brazil or Indonesia job at the house. Um, with a pour over and then I let the, so I'll bring the, the gooseneck up to a boil and then I'll let it sit after it pop, after the little needle thing pops. I'll let it sit for like five to seven minutes to cool down. Cause if it's boiling, when you pour it over your coffee, you're going to burn the coffee. So I like to let it sit for a little bit. And then even if, and a lot of people will probably in the comments get mad at me, but I'll, I'd rather microwave my coffee than have it, have the water be too hot when I make it. So if it's if it, like I have a pour over and it's not warm enough for me and I want like a hot cup of coffee, I'd rather throw it in the microwave for a couple of seconds than have my whole entire pour over ruined because I poured the coffee on too hot to begin with. And that's yeah. the that's the big key. That's the key thing for me is the acidity in the coffee is I like it to be low acid, but I like mm -hmm. to be able to taste the roast. So I like the fruit balance, like a little fruitiness, a little creaminess, but no, I want to know that the coffee has been roasted. You know, I want that coffee, like the what you think of. I've been to a lot of third wave coffee shops, like traveling and stuff like that. You know, when you pay like $18 for a six ounce cup of coffee and it, then you get it, it's like bean water. But, yeah. but, but, and that's fine. And I'm not saying anything wrong, there's anything wrong with that. That's just that roast profile. And that's not my profile, if that makes right. sense. So I'd rather yeah, have, yeah. I'd rather taste a little bit more of the roast blended with a little bit more of that bean flavor and have like a nice happy in between. Yeah, bean you know, it, flavor coffee. It, it, that, that's a great uh, way of explaining you that. You know, if, it, if this show was like on Instagram or TikTok, it would be blowing up right now in the chat panel with 
the microwave. Oh my god, this guy! I'm I'm, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. This guy doesn't know what yeah, he's doing. Not smoking his cigars, not drinking his wine. Yeah, that's it. You know, yeah. he, he's he's yeah. dumb. Val, Val, what is your just asking Tony like how like what what is your method of preferred method of making a cup of coffee? You know, you might not know this about me, but I was actually a barista. I, I, uh, it never ceases to amaze. You don't say. <laughs> are, are you my mom? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. God. Like and and there's a lot to be said for timing the pull. All right, if you know what I'm talking about, I don't. Espresso. I mean, yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, I'm a big espresso fan. I'm I'm not a drip coffee drinker. Never have been. Keep in mind. I'm a super taster, and that's been proven. I've got the credentials to show it. I like to use them. Me too. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not a tea drinker at all. I'm I'm a very specific coffee drinker, and I do like my espresso, um, and I do time my pulls. I do have one of those coffee makers that dims the lights when you turn it on. Most people don't go to that extreme, but I do. Um, it's a funny it, story about that, Val, real quick, is Rob has one of those machines and he takes it to travel. But he, <laughs> like, but he, but wait a minute. So he's got, like, he keeps buying them at different places because he'll, like, blow, like, the circuit in the entire hotel because um, he wants to make espresso. So he'll call him and be like, dude, what do I do? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I just blew like the whole hotel's power with my espresso machine. I'm like, well, I'm like, just, I'm like, I, I'm like, just go to like, go find an antique store or something and buy another one and like leave the hotel right away. I don't know. Go find a circuit breaker. <laughs> but, but yeah. Yeah. But, but to answer your question, I, I have absolutely no problem at all with people who choose to microwave anything. Because I am not going to be that judge. Drink what you like, eat what you like, smoke what you like. Once you've discovered what you like, nobody should ever think they can take that away from you because it's what you like. It's your world, you live in it. Yep. I, I, I find Amen. what Ben said really funny because like that reminds me of my grandma like in her car and it would be like dark like like it would be like almost like uh like molasses coming out after a while it's like yeah. how how old how how old is that coffee in that coffee pot? yesterday's pot did you, did you reuse those yes and she would reuse the ground sometimes you can get two days worth out of it i'd be like no no you cannot <laughs> Yeah, Val, you had mentioned espresso. So I, I've never tried this. I, I really I, I don't drink espresso, but 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 I really want to try it. Um Jeff Borshowitz actually got Steve Saka hooked on this. Um and it's uh taking a, a a can of coke over ice and pouring in a shot of espresso. Like Jeff and Steve are hooked on it now. Like they are just like it is just like the greatest thing in the world. Has anybody else tried that yet? I, 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 I need to try it. All I can say is you've just mentioned Jeff Borschowitz and Steve Saka, who are among gods. They are, they are the yeah. gods of, of whatever comes to cigars and coffee and whatever else. And if they say it's good, I say to you, do not question it. Yeah. Just, <coughs> just try it. Okay. Never question the depth, Kevin. Walk in the fall in the water. Never question the depth. <laughs> 
I have one more question for my coffee corner interview, Kevin, and then I'll pass it back over to you. Um, and it was Tony, you had mentioned about uh, letting the boiling water set because you don't want the, the water to be too hot when you do your pour over. It, do you use the same um, method when doing a French press? Is yes. you know, there's a lot of boiling but I, water. But, so what I do with both, and I forgot to mention this, is I I basically I charge the vessel first. So I pour, and, and it's like, it seems tedious, but it's totally worth it. I'll either like if I'm if I'm lazy that morning, I'll put like my hot sink water into the French press or the pour over first, and let it sit while the while the gooseneck is is boiling. But I don't. So to answer your question, yes, but I also either will use really hot water to make sure the glass is hot and then dump it and then do the French press. Cause you don't want, you know, I don't want my coffee. That's not really, really piping hot going into a really cold vessel because then it eliminates the whole purpose. Right. So yeah. I try to charge the, the French press or the, or the, the pour over beforehand. Um, it depends on how hungover I am really. No, that makes sense. You, you've added a few steps in my routine in the morning for, for, for Jennifer, but I think it's going to be well worth it. Um, and thanks. That's I, a, I'd like to add to this, care if you don't mind me yeah. interrupting your story. No, no, no. Kevin does it all the time. I'm used to it. Just go right, the, right ahead. <laughs> the more you travel, the more you learn. And, and when you go to France, when, when they order their espresso, it, it's not to linger. It's just, it's just to have a couple of quick words with whomever they meet in whichever coffee shop they visit. And, and they just take that espresso very quickly. It, it's meant to give you a boost and to activate your palate 100%, yeah. but it's also to understand and to appreciate just how flavorful and length and balance and complexity goes into that one single shot of espresso. That's, that's funny about Italy when you, know, when you go and you see there's no bar stools at the bars, unless you're at like a nope. proper, unless you're at a proper drinking bar. Like if you go to a coffee shop, it's a, it's a bar, but it's, it's not, bar. there's no people sitting at it. It's like nope. people come up there, lean, wait for the coffee. How's your day? Good. My day's good. Boom, boom. Off to work. And they Done. usually have, then they usually take a sandwich. It's like a shot of espresso and a ham sandwich <laughs> and they're out the door. Oh, like so, so, it's, so, it's, so, so, yeah, so it's not the sipping like we see no, here no, with no, this. No, no, no. I always wonder that you see people with these tiny little glasses and they're just sipping and sitting there. I'm like, no. what is what is going on here? Yeah, it's, it a, it's a boom. Give me my prosciutto and I'm out the door. Mm -hmm. All right. And that, now, uh, um, uh, Tony, uh, um, Kara, did you see this? What What is what is this? This uh, um, uh, That's a magical beverage right there. Yes. Yeah, so the, the, the percolator. <laughs> So that was a project I did with my buddies down the street from my house. Um, I was actually there two nights ago. Um, that's a beer that we kind of had like a beerception idea. And I was like, I, we've ne I've never had like all these stouts that I've had. And, you know, there's coffee IPAs. And I've never, ever once seen a coffee Pilsner, ever. So I was like, how are we going to do this? How is it possible? Because you would just think that the coffee is going to be too crazy for like a, a lager pilsner yeah so what we did was we invented a um like a machine basically it's not a machine it's like i call it a machine but we literally like we're like welding this keg together so it's like we built we took this keg and we drilled a hole in the top of it 
and we drilled a hole in the bottom of it and we filled the keg with whole bean coffee and then we washed the pilsner over the coffee bean and let it sit and then we take it out into another uh, secondary fermenter and then we do it again until the whole thing's done and instead of putting like ground coffee or a giant I'm going to use sack now. We've used crack and poop already. So we put a, instead of putting a giant sack into the fermenting vessel, we put whole beans and let the coffee wash over it. So with percolator, you get that real bright, crisp Pilsner taste, and it's super fruity and super fun. And then it finishes with this really cool, like roasty kind of coffee note. And then our second iteration of it was Lemonator. And because I like lemon in my espresso, so I was like, why don't we try a lemon, a lemon coffee pilsner? So we did a lemonator, and that one's my favorite. And that one's like, people are like, this is the greatest thing ever, and this is the most terrible thing ever all the time. <laughs> but everybody loves percolator, but like lemonator is like they're on the fence about because they're like lemon coffee and beer, are you out of your mind? But yeah. Uh, Carrie, you got to try that, you know, with the, uh, I will the double lemon. You know, I'll try it. I mean, I'm not... dangerous. Yeah. So, so are, are you able to use that co those coffee beans after that, or is it? Are they just they're just done? No, they're they're done. So, yeah. I mean, they're they're there's no flavor left in them. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. So, so I have another question for you, Tony. Sorry. No, no. Go, go right I, ahead. How come I can drink a twenty six of tequila and write an exam, but I have two sips of beer and I'm done? Because agave is a stimulant. Uh, is it? Yeah. So tequila is the, actually the only alcoholic beverage of all of them are that are stimulants versus fights in college. That's why everybody's like, I get so crazy on tequila. It's because yeah. of God. They found, I, I remember, because I, I did, I've done a couple barrel picks with Trace Agave's tequila, and I was talking to them, and the, the, the guy's from California, and he was like, he's like, well, he's like, we had an interesting week because the, the agave harvesters found out at the U that if you smoked the agave that you would trip your balls off he's like so i got back from california and all of these guys are naked in the agave field tripping and he's like i had no idea what to do and he's like so i talked to like the one guy that was coming down and he was like yeah we figured out today that if you like smoke this shit you trip your balls off so now they have to have like anti-smoking trace agaves people that walk around to make sure that these guys aren't high as a kite like harvesting the hearts of agave that's just another interesting thing I came across. Oh my god, I have yeah. never heard but that makes wow. sense on the other stimulant because I, I make fun of Jessica because I do not allow tequila in the house. Um only because Jessica turns into which I say I've used the I'm reference fun. many times the, the Jessica is the Notre Dame fighting Irishman. You know, she you know a, a, a couple little tequila and she's like, Let's go. Yeah, so I'm like, Yes. Well, it's actually, it's more like, tequila is more like a speedball, actually, if you think about it. Because alcohol is a depressant, and agave in it is a stimulant. So it's like, you're like John Belushi yeah. yourself when you drink it. Yeah. yeah. Explains Dominic. a lot yeah. from back in the day. That explains a lot. <laughs> that, that, that is. Now, um, uh, coffee storage time. So, so um, and everybody watching, in, in the show notes down below, all the descriptions, the coffee, the wine, the cigars, everything you can imagine is all in the links below. But um, what is the coffee storage time? So so they buy a, a bag of Youngstown coffee that you know gets shipped in the mail. Um, how long can, is is coffee good for? Put it in your freezer with your batteries and your cigarettes. 
but that's a lie. I don't <laughs> okay. know if anybody remembers I, 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 I'm, my I'm grandma, like, really? Good. My, my no, mom used to keep my, batteries in the freezer. I, I know. <laughs> that's what I, my grandma used to. I would open up my grandma's freezer. There'd be like 10 cartons of, of Cools, like six AAA batteries, and a Folgers can. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? She's like, it makes them last longer. And it, no, it doesn't. Um, you know, a refrigerator and a freezer are actually dehumidifiers, so if you, it's actually worse, worse for everything. Um, as far as coffee, my my honest to god opinion is buy a whole bean and have a and spend the money on a grinder. Um, number one, because um, coffee starts to lose, uh, loses eighty percent of its flavor within ten minutes of grinding it. So, um, wow, oh, I didn't know that. That that number one um, and number two, as far as whole bean storage, you know I I bring f- like five five pounds of coffee home a whole bean a week and it seems to it seems in a, in a in a bag, and I keep it in like a not like in the bag with all the air like I push the air out of the degas seal and then I put it somewhere dark and like somewhat cool. But I would say, like, if you had like a pound a week, it is all right. So, so, so you should only be grinding. You should only be grinding what you need for that pot or cup. Yeah, every day. Whether it's every day. Okay. I was doing that, and then I started grinding like more, so I had it for a couple days, so I didn't have to keep grinding every day. Now I'm going to stop doing that okay. because I was doing it right the first time. I, oh. Right, and it, it's so obnoxious in the morning. You're like, you like come out of bed and you're tired, <laughs> yeah. and then you hit the button. It's, yeah. Yeah. It is really obnoxious, but that I guess helps helps wake you up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah We grind right. every every everything that we drink. We grind right beforehand. Okay, all right. Yeah, same here. We grind that day. No less, no more. Yep. Okay. Uh, all right. So. So we've got the coffee, the cigars. You, you've done the, the craft beer, the the wine. Um, anything for spirits? Is that is that what's uh, is that what is, what's next? I've done some. Uh, I've done a couple barrel barrel picks with Trace Agaves, which were very fun experiences. Um, I like doing barrel picks. You know, in in my opinion, you know, uh, I mean, look at the bottles behind Valve. I mean, those those people that. Well, I mean, when you're talking about whiskey, I mean, you when you make a whiskey. You're making whiskey for your grandkids to drink. You're not making it for you to drink. And, you know, to start off with whiskey, it's like you can't really start that. You can, but I would never, I would, you would never see it in my life. You know, that whiskey you would never see in my life. And that's what I think is cool about, uh, especially brown spirits, is like the, the generations of the houses that have made them. Um, and I think that. You know, hats off to people that are distilling and and making great stuff. Uh, I wish I could do it. I wish I could afford to do it. I mean, it's a very expensive like business to get into, um, and it's and it's a very difficult thing because I mean, you know, with um, oh yeah, but oh, yeah. with um, you know, with a whiskey, you know, you could put that. You know, you saw what happened at Maker's Mark. I mean, that, that those those barrels of whiskey were. Some of them were 30 years old and they were just lit on fire. And it was oh, like, yeah. you know, that's, that's, you've waited for your baby for 30 years to, to be, to become something and then it's gone. So I don't even know if I'd be able to like, like just, I don't know if I'd have the patience or be able to like, you know, um, I don't know how they do it. But I think you've got the skill set to make it happen, Tony. I think if there was anybody on the planet right now 
who could put it all together, it would be you. But then I wouldn't get to drink it. Mm. You know, I want to be able to drink and smoke and do the stuff that I do. But I'm like, I'm impatient with cigars. I can't, I, I can't, I'm like, these things have been sitting there for a year. Come on. <laughs> um, but with, I would like to get into to spirits. I think, you know, I think that um, working with, instead of starting anew, maybe working with, with an experienced distiller or working with an experienced distillery would, be, would kind of be more um, up my alley to kind of, you know, learn from, learn from someone who's done it before. I want, I want to ask you, okay, when it comes to spirits and wine, what I've learned, and you know that I'm on the Cigar Journal tasting panel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cigar Journal magazine is amazing when it comes to representing cigars in the best light possible. And I, I, I've actually learned a lot by being, and there's Cigar Sense. I've been yeah. with Cigar Sense since 2015. Um, Cigar Sense has a very demanding assessment process. It's like four pages. Every time I get a cigar, I've got to fill out four pages of assessment. And with Cigar Journal, it's one page. Um, and, and both of them are very, very important in, from, from my experience in providing the consumer with an, a completely unbiased representation of what they can expect from a cigar. At the same time, however, we've learned that while consumers say they want to, or they would in fact trust the input from an unbiased source, their their attitude versus their behavior is completely opposite. While they have choices like Cigar Sense, like Cigar Journal, where we taste and smell cigars on a blind basis, they often turn to whichever social media influencer might suggest to them based on brand the cigars or the wines or the whiskeys they might want to try and this this confuses me because like i say the attitude versus the behavior is completely different and i think that's a challenge for anybody who's in cigars or wines or whiskeys because people it seems to me that the consumer always wants to be trying something new when in fact sometimes it's not the new that's always best suited to their palate yeah that's an well, that's an interesting kind of um thing about this business right is what what can recreate what can we continuously create that's new because we have to match the demand of the consumer Absolutely. Um, earlier, Kevin asked me a question about La Barba and why I've I've never done that, and the reason I've never done that is because I've never wanted to be, you know, a with my brands a flavor of the week. You know, I've always trusted my blends, and I've I've over the past ten years have done what I've can to get the cigars into the hands of the people that can enjoy them. But I don't want to have to, you know, from a manufacturing standpoint, it's 
Um, it almost seems counterintuitive, but for me, I want to make sure that the, the, the brands and the lines that I have are consistent and good all the time. And it's not, and like we talked about earlier, you know, there are so many choices that you have when you go into a cigar store or wine store, beer store, and there's, you know, 30 coffee roasters that are down the street from you. Um, that variety, I think, is very important in, in the, in the industry at all that we, that we're in, um, without that variety, I think that we would be, this business would be very limited. Um, however, you know, the, that we always want something new thing. I don't know how to get consumers to kind of go back and say, okay, like, and you know, we've a perfect example for a wine that I've seen it happen with is a wine like 19 crimes and it shifted, you know, that wine shifted wine consumers, um, palates and then therefore manufacturers, manufacturing methods to making the wine more like 19 crimes when, um, the original wine houses that made those original wines were actually better. So it's actually like diminishing return, right? So you have this new wine that comes out that everyone goes bananas about. That's not really a wine. Um, I wouldn't even call it a, 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 a grape wine, right? There's a, probably a lot of blueberry preserves in it. Um, and I'm not knocking it again. Like if you like it, drink it. And I would never say anything about it. I'm my, my, I guess thesis here is that, um, older houses and more established houses tend to, um, <clears throat> are tending to dumb down their product in order to get it to a point where, you know, the, the general consumer will appreciate it because that's what they're seeing. You know, it's like you get a lot of great breweries that started making seltzers and like, okay, seltzer's fine. Like it's what it is, but like, don't sacrifice what you do because you want to sell more stuff. And a lot of great winemakers I've had over the past like eight or nine years, <clears throat> like, legacy wine brands that have just been like okay we're gonna dump a bunch of blueberry into this and under ferment it and because people want sweet stuff but it, it takes away from that i think romance of of the legacy of it and i would just and, I, I, and, and my thing is like i would just like to be a part of that ride like i don't want to i don't want to be the one that says okay i hear i'm gonna do this and then flip everything on its head like i just want to be a small portion of the legacy of like the hundreds of years of, of tobacco and cigars and wine and coffee and beer. And I think, I think a, a, a point that a lot of consumers haven't even investigated is the role that yeasts play. Uh, nowadays, there are so many yeasts out there. If you want banana, you can get banana. There's a yeast for that. There's, there's a yeast for everything. And that goes into the fermentation process. Um, and before we close off, Tony, I just really, really, really want to mention to you, when you look at the four of us on this screen, you are the only image that doesn't have an advertisement. We all have some kind of an advertisement. You are the hero. You are everything. <laughs> That was going to make me cry. You I'm know, just, God, I'm, God. Just in my, I'm just chilling in my office. Yeah, I know. Val, you know how I get choked up. God. <laughs> but it's true. I have it's so true. Val. Like, you are so sincere. You're so honest. Thank you. And that humble, that humbles me. Thank you. If you really, anybody who's listening, I, I'm addressing the audience. If you really want to 
experience something that isn't influenced, then smoke whatever Tony Bellotto makes, drink whatever he makes, because he is Thank you. He's just there for the true beauty of what we enjoy. Oh. Well, thank you. That really humbles me. I, I don't know quite what to say, actually. Yeah. So, so, so that, so after all of this, that moves us on to your new endeavor, Bellotto Premium Cigars. What is, what is the company's? Do you have a mission statement? Do you have, what, what, is, what is Bellotto Premium Cigars, and why, why not roll it into La Barba? Why create an entire new uh, company? Uh, La Barba Cigars was my youth. Bellotto Premium Cigars is kind of my graduation. Um, I learned a lot in the business over the past 10 years. Uh, and not to take anything away from La Barba Cigars, um, I still like love that, that brand portfolio and everything about it. Um, I just wanted to do something completely on my own um, and really figure out and dial in my palate. You know, a lot of La Barba... Um, is it is consumer driven like i'm i smoke cigars thinking about people that are going to buy them right um this project's more is more my the graduation of my palette and things that that i'm really been passionate about that i haven't been able to do thus far and whether the market can handle it or not then we'll see so but that's that's kind of like the, i guess the, the general ethos behind it you know it's it's jumping off the deep end with a project that um, I've been working on with my dad and just getting his input from his years of experience and, and kind of taking like his, like the relationships that he, he has had throughout the years with different manufacturers and different partners and different brands um, and kind of seeing what I can do with them and, and kind of seeing what we can come up with with, um, with my flair as like a, a middle-aged, you know, guy in this business, you know, um, but you know, take take kind of the, the the usher in the new generation with with some cool stuff, um, but using you know the relationships that my dad has had with these people that are that are legacy makers. So when when are we going to see the um, uh, the cigars hitting the hitting the market? Uh, the first, I mean, it all depends. Like right now, everything's up in the air. Um, like I said, Ricochet Connecticut was supposed to come out two years ago. Um, the cigars have been done. I mean, they're going to be really really fucking good because they've been sitting for so long but um you know about boxes bands all that stuff um if everything goes to plan uh the first release for for bellotto should be um in three weeks to a month i'm hoping you know by by spring to summer um and that's that's going to be a really cool cigar that cigar is going to retail at um in the states, it's seven dollars, eight dollars, and nine dollars, and it's a robusto wow. Toro six sixty Habano, um, and it's really, really, really good. And that's like what that's what we're I'm going to release a Habano Connecticut and Maduro on that, and stick with those price points on every one of those. It's going to be seven dollars, eight dollars, nine dollars MSRP. Um, reason for that is because again, like not everybody. I remember when I, and with Treasure Hunter and how Hunter helped me out through the business, I remember when I was starting out and like, I couldn't go into a wine store and buy a hundred dollar bottle of wine. I couldn't do it. And like, you know, a 30, 25 or $30 cigar is very intimidating to people. And a $15 cigar right now is intimidating to people. Yeah. You know, and to get into the premium industry, you know, you're at 11 to $12, 
general MSRP in the United States, right? But we really, you know, sought out to create something that we could get at that price point that is ultra premium, that is very well aged. I mean, I've been working on this. I mean, the Bellotto thing isn't new. It's just, it's ready, if that makes any sense. Like, I've been working on this um, for two or three years now. And um, we, find, we found the right manufacturer for the cigar. We found the right tobaccos for the cigar. And it, it's, it's amazing. And it's, I, I'm really glad to be able to put it out at that price point. Um, and that's going to be the initial release of that. And then I, after that, I have what's called addition coming. And those are going to be a little bit more premium um, as far as the, the, uh, the wrappers are concerned. Um, trying for um, to end with a real Cameroon, like I started the show with, like how much I love that Cameroon wrapper. But like real Connecticut broadleaf, you know, real Connecticut shade, um, and using like 13 to 15 year old tobaccos in that cigar, um, generally speaking. And then that, those, so that's, those are gonna be the core lines. It's called Knock Around in addition. And then um, El Moderno is a working project right now. That's gonna be a, a special broadleaf. And then the 10th year anniversary La Barba cigar I have done, that's gonna come out this year too, hopefully. So, right, Ron, can you tell us, um, um, like, on, on the uh, the new Bellotto, like, the, the factories you're working with, or is that kind of, like, a secret right now? Um, right now, we're working with a, a couple different people. The first um, the first cigars are going to be coming out of Henderson's father's factory. So we kept our old factory. Oh, okay. Um, um, and Henderson's dad has been um, basically playing around with Eladio Diaz in, this, in that factory, um, and they've been making unbelievable things that they – have literally just been selling to their town. Um, so it's an honor to work with them. Um, it's 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 the original factory that we started La Barba and Caldwell in. So since we've grown, we're kind of going, you know, I always like to go back to my roots. So I'm going back, I'm working with William's father. Um, you know, my dad and him are very good friends. So, you know, it's nice to go down to the DR with my dad and, you know, get William and my dad drunk and let them tell stories. and. <laughs> And then, you know, get a cigar out of it. And that's kind of what the, I guess, mainly the ethos is about, is the entire industry as a whole needs to kind of come together to have that moment. Yeah, you know, a lot of people have been talking, you know, like, oh, like Henderson, he's making this, Henderson, 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 like making all this good stuff. And, you know, I'm like, I, I, I love the great, great kid. I, I say a kid, uh, a, a great young man. But I'm like, his dad. His dad is crushing it with with some fantastic, fantastic stuff that, that that's coming out. So I'm like, it's uh, the, the the father the father still has a lot of stuff to show the world. Yeah, and he, you know, his his profile, you know, he's kind of like when we first started going there, he's like, oh, well, you kids and your strong cigars, you know what <laughs> I mean? Because um, he he smokes, you know, he's very he's used to a very medium body medium bodied cigar, medium body Dominican cigar. Uh, so it's kind of fun to push him outside of his comfort zone a little bit, but then at the same time, like he he kind of understands like that, you know, we need to to raise the bar on the industry a little bit, and maybe some young fresh ideas are good every once in a while. And I hope my my dad sometimes thinks the same, but but he's not really. <laughs> so right. so so Tony, yeah. sorry. Don't no no go no go ahead. You just referenced body. Yes. And that's. I mean, that's really tricky in this industry. A lot of people don't know what yes. body is all well, body about. Body is very different. Body is very different than strength. 
Okay. Body is very different. Which is very, people are getting very confused about that. So when I was in my wine study classes, we learned that skim milk is light body, right? 2% is a little bit medium body and full body. Where are you pulling this milk from? I know. Care. That makes Care's whole segment look bad. He had no props, no nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> I had no props. I had no beans. I had no yeah. French press. I was ready. I did my homework. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. But yes, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I had to do that. But yes, you're completely correct. That is body. That's body. So if anybody, to all the listeners out there, if you have more than one takeaway, because Tony's given you a gazillion takeaways, and I hope you were taking notes. But if you ever want to know the difference between body and strength, just turn to the things you already know. And it's it's you... funny, because I used to start my wine class out with, I would have a glass of lemon juice, a glass of black tea, a glass of simple syrup, and explain acidity and and i would have milk and i would explain mouthfeel body i would explain acidity the sweet and then sometimes if i was really feeling like a jerk i would put soy sauce in there so they would <laughs> understand what savory oh, mommy yeah but that's like the the phantom thing that nobody knows about is the, the extra sense right. that they have is the the savory the savory note but all of those things right all of those things together make body Right. So if, if anything is out of whack, then your body's out of whack. Right. So if you're too much on strength and not enough on sweetness or too much on the blah, 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 then your body and your mouth feels is not complete. And that's the and, you know, back to coffee and, and all that and everything. The blending of those things together is what gives you your body. You know, if you smoke all the hero, you know, all Yalapa Halero, then there's yeah, it's really good. But that's all it is, and there's no body, there's no complexity, there's no idea behind it. That's just it is what it is, and that is a component in in building a, a multitude of things into a cigar, wine, beer, whatever you're doing. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you're doing, length, balance, and complexity. That should be your end game. Yes. So, so uh, uh, care Val, any uh, any final uh, questions, thoughts? Um, for our guest tonight, before we let him go. No, nah, none for me. I, I, this was great and very educational. And I don't even have a coffee mug as a prop. I got a bag of nuts. That's all I got. Uh, but thank you very much uh, for for all the great information. Uh, what a fantastic time! The time. Thank you. Guys. Thank you guys for having me. I'm I'm I'm, I'm sad it's my first time, but I'm glad it is my first time. Val, any any final thoughts? Uh, you know, Tony, uh, honestly, I, I have attended so many trade shows and so many festivals. And like today, the tickets went on sale for the Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest. And unfortunately, I can't attend this year. Uh, and I so wish I could. Um, and I can't attend PCA this year. And I so wish I could. And I don't know if you're going to be at any or I know you're at the tobacco business um, trade show and that's brilliant and I'm so glad you were there and and all I can say is I hope that anybody who 
who has the 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 pure benefit, the the pure luxury of having your cigars in their market market. I don't think they. I, I hope they understand how lucky they are to be Thank able you. to taste whatever you produce, because it is clear to me that there is there is so much heart, there is so much understanding, and there is so much appreciation for aroma, taste, length, balance, and complexity that you put into everything that you produce. Anything that you put on the market, I think everybody should buy everything they can get in their market because if they don't, they're missing out on, a, on an opportunity to tell their friends, if you don't have this, I do, and you're missing out. So there. Wow. Thank you. Man, I'm humbled. That, that humbles me very much. So thank you. So how do, how do you how do you end with that? Um, I can tell, like I said, you know, I, I've, I've been <laughs> I, I've been interviewed 100 times on, on, on various shows. And, and generally it always comes up like, what is your favorite show? What is your favorite show? Without a doubt, without even skipping a beat. You know, Matt Boo's my best friend. I, we talk all the time. Great show. And I always say interview with Robert Caldwell hands down was our best show best interview yet um and I, i'm glad that this one hands down tony from here on out i mean i don't even know how we can top like this this show this panel um this is hands down i've learned so much thank thank you oh, thank, thank thank you care val yeah. this thank has been you guys. and i make sure i'm gonna let them know that but yeah trust me i'll make that make sure they know <laughs> but no, seriously, in all seriousness, guys, thank you. It really it has been my pleasure, and I hope I I gave you guys what you what you needed and what you had questions about. I hope I answered them, and I'd be more than happy to come back whenever you whenever you want. Yes, yes. Once the cigar is released, we'll give it a little time. We'll definitely get you back on. We'll talk about the new blends and the new cigars. Awesome. Thank you, guys. So, thank you, Tony. You thank have a good you. night. All right, cheers. All right, everybody, start typing in the word cigar. You know, we'll have, I forgot to tell you to do that to be, uh, at the beginning. We've got a, uh, uh, um, tonight's prize. We've got some cigars from our sponsors, uh, JC Newman. We've got Amendola Family Cigars. We've got a couple cigars from uh, Care at Stogie Road Cigars. And we've got actually last month's, um, I think this is the, um, uh, yeah, this is the, the Corona Cigar, regular cigar of the month club shipment. <laughs> Both winners from last month we that we picked never never got back to me. So so the winner tonight will get those uh will will get both of those prize packs. Um while everybody's typing in their names, Care Val. Oh my god, what a fan, what a fantastic, yeah. what a fantastic show. Um thank thank you Thanks. both so much for 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 the great questions and we had such a good time. There's a lot to know, and I mean there's a real relationship to wine, whiskey, cigars, coffee, because it's all the olfactory experience. It, 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 abs it absolutely is. Um, let's uh, let's share this screen here real quick here. And um, I think people uh, looks like that they've slowed down here on the typing of the word cigar. Let me wait the pops that up on Jessica's screen. Tony Bellotto, cigar, 20 entries. I got a list of the people that can't win. We'll see. Uncle Larry. Uncle Larry can win. So uh, it's been a, Congratulations, been a long time since, uh, 
So send me a message, uh, um, a Kevin at email or Kevin at cigarprop.com. Send me an email. We'll definitely get your uh, um, your prize pack out. And thank you to Amendola Family Cigars for the Tapping Ash and Taking Names giveaway. Um, once again, I, I this is hands down. This was my favorite show. Like I said, it was gonna, it was always going to take a lot to beat that Robert Caldwell show because we got Robert to open up. We got Robert to smile. We got Robert to tell a story. And, um, wow. and, and that was the one thing I had told care and Jessica before this show, I have seen interviews with Tony. Tony doesn't smile. Tony doesn't like laugh. He, he doesn't like, I, it's not like he doesn't have a good time. He's just very, no. a very reserved individual and it shows. And I think I said definitely a couple times he smiled, he laughed. Um, and thank you both for, for making that happen. It's, um, hands down. Fantastic. Val, we missed you. We, 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 we have missed you so, so much. So hopefully, um, we can definitely have you back on, on, on occasion. And, um, I know, can I, I know you're, can I admit something to you? Yep. You don't know how much I needed this. My sister died on New Year's Eve. And so I've taken a step back from social media. And I, I still can't do it. But because you invited me. Thank you. Oh, my God. I'm going to turn my camera off. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. I know I know you were... You, you, you had kind of stepped stepped away from the, the, the social media platform. I, you know, and I, I didn't know that. I, I just thought that you were taking, taking a break. So, um, so sorry for your loss. Yeah. And, yeah. um, yeah, it's, uh, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. And, I, and I'm, and I'm, I'm humbled. I'm honored that you were, um, that, that you accepted our, our invitation for, for coming on your, your knowledge is just, um, I mean, obviously we, we've talked privately, you know, how much I, I appreciate, you know, just you as a person, your knowledge, everything that you want to give back to the, the cigar community, the wine community, the spirits, uh, community. And, um, thank you. Thank you so much. You don't know how much I needed this. I, I can tell you Val from speaking from experience with being on this, on Facebook and doing shows for a long period of time. I lost my brother two years ago. And during that period of time, you know, I had taken a break and it, I think it's something special that you were, that, that you, you took that leap of faith. You took that next step. You were brave enough to come on and be part of the show. And I think this is one step moving forward in healing and, and, and really being able to, to move forward. Only because it's you. Well, it was Kevin, but I'll take partial credit <laughs> for it. I mean, like, like I say you. the nice words afterwards, but yeah. I mean, but I do speak from experience with with having significant loss and and trauma, and just wanting to shut everything down. And and when you take that one step, that one leap of faith, like you did tonight, um, that's a huge, huge sign of bravery. And I'm proud of you for that. And I guarantee you, tomorrow's not going to be easier, but you're going to find that you're one step ahead. Than you were yesterday. Thank you. I don't know how much I needed it. <laughs> thank, thank you. I wish I could hug you. Right <laughs> yeah, now. I, I, I know. <laughs> so, 
So, so, so, so thank you. And, uh, and Val, we'll definitely, we'll, we'll definitely get you back on the, definitely get you back thank on you. the show. And we definitely appreciate um, you. We definitely appreciate uh, a Tony care. Um, thank you everybody watching um, tonight. Um, thank you for spending a couple hours of your, of your Monday night with us. And uh, we, we definitely appreciate it. Um, we also want to thank our, uh, our sponsors for making this show happen. Uh, each and every week, J.C. Newman Cigars, Cigar Medics, and Mandola Cigars. We are the muscle. Excelsior Tobacco's maker of the Donia Lydia, GTO Cigars, those who know Smoke GTO, Corona Cigar, and of course, Drew Estate and Experience Acid. Um, next week, we've got, we welcome uh, Dave Arling, Arlinghouse. Uh, um, everybody knows him uh, as the Cigar Life guy, Cigar Life Insurance. He's not just here to talk about insurance. He's here to talk about his life and journey through the uh, through the world of cigars, um, care as always. Um, do you have any final thoughts for the uh, um, to leave our our guests with tonight or leave our viewers with tonight? I do, and it's you know we we've been promoting the Silent Green Buddy Bundle, and I think that concept behind that is more than just the the the, the cigar itself. It's really finding someone that you love, finding a friend, finding a loved one, and sitting down and enjoying a cigar with them. Val, anything you'd like to leave our, uh, our our viewers with tonight? Thank you so much for being the people that we know love the leaf and love the people who love the leaf. P perfect. Um, Val, we'll see you back here in a second. Everybody else, we'll see you back here next week. <laughs>